raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. How about this for the buzzkill of all buzzkills? Here it is the week before, not the week before, the week of Thanksgiving. So the few days leading into Thanksgiving. And I don't know, yesterday at probably 5.30. So I'm at the Pacer game. They're down 30-2. to And my phone buzzes. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I wonder what this is all about. Probably somebody telling me that, you know, to, to get Jairus Walker on the floor and let's see what we can get out of him. And it buzzes and it's Brendan King and I go oh okay well he's probably calling to ask if I can loan him my Florida Panthers roster so he can get familiar with them this year and I'm doing okay by the way and what's that I'm doing okay on that I feel like I'm making progress on the Panthers roster yeah okay so the text from Brendan says hey I'm I'm in tomorrow with you and I go oh okay that's cool and no, no worries with that um and then I found out so Jimmy Cook has jury duty so Jimmy has jury duty. They don't know if he's going to be sequestered or not. So Brendan, I guess preemptively, they just went ahead and had you come in for the whole week, right? I'm with you till Wednesday. So yeah, so the whole week, right? Oh, well, the week of Thanksgiving, yeah. That's the whole week, work-wise, yeah. is what I'm saying. So all shows that are possible, Brendan's going to be in here because we don't know if Jimmy, uh, I don't know if it's major felony or misdemeanor court or whatever it is, but um, Jimmy's on jury duty. So, And I thought being president of a company gets you out of jury duty, but apparently Jimmy not very savvy and wasn't able to go in there and convince them to weed him out. Uh, so Brendan is here. Eddie Garrison is back from vacation. Eddie, anything fun for your vacation? Nope. Absolutely nothing. Just stayed at home and relaxed. Drank a couple beers. That was about it. <laughs> okay. What kind of beer did you drink? Uh, I had some Miller Lite. Okay. That's the high life, by the way. No, Miller Lite or Miller High Life? Miller Lite. Okay. High Life is the champagne of beers, in case you didn't know. I did not. Uh, good afternoon to you on a Monday. My name is Jake Quarry. Brendan King, you just heard his voice. Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Quarry and Company on 93.5, 107.5, the fan. And here is what I des- decided. It is Christmas time when it's the jolly fat guy and ho 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 right but i was as you know you know i was just in amsterdam so you know i don't know if i got fat i was certainly jolly I, you know the ho 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 build your own joke but i've decided that since this is the week of thanksgiving we are we're going to be thankful okay it would be easy for me to say you know yesterday i turned on the television and I watched Indiana, and this is why I tell people to reserve judgment on recruiting, for example. And it's very early. Very early. You know, like when you look at, you know, you go back and you look at Indiana's roster and the way it's assembled and the players that they got, and, you know, every time a player commits to Indiana or Purdue or whatever it is, and like, let's fire up cigars on TikTok and do happy dances and do backflips and try to find out where the kid lives so we can plant signs of gratitude in their front yard that at the age of 17 they've made a commitment to a place we went to school with 40 years ago. I, you never know. Recruiting is an inexact science. Mackenzie Mbako probably is going to be a very good player. But if he's drafted into the NBA based on his potential, and it clearly wouldn't be on production so far, I know that people say that he's an elite shooter, he's a great offensive player, that that – there clearly was body of work to show that he is a great talent. 
But so far, that guy looks like he has zero interest in playing basketball for Indiana University. None. So I could sit here and talk about how yesterday illuminated that recruiting is an inexact science and that you can't necessarily count your chickens before they hatch if I wanted to. But instead, I'm going to be thankful because it's Thanksgiving week. So the thankful side of me says, you know what? Indiana's got a chance to bounce back in a fun game against Louisville in New York City. What a cool atmosphere. So turn the page and don't dwell on it. Be thankful there's another game and it happens tonight, uh, actually later this afternoon, against Louisville. Just four and a half hours from now. Or I could say, I could start the show today, Brendan, by trashing the Pacers' performance after what appeared to be also having a bye week along with the Colts. Like somebody didn't tell the Pacers that Somebody didn't tell McKenzie and Baco that he's actually not suspended for the first five games of the year. And somebody didn't tell the Pacers that having four days off before the Thanksgiving holiday doesn't mean the whole week. Orlando yesterday, I mean, the speed with which Orlando played and the cohesiveness they played with one another was an absolute clinic. And the Pacers' defense was non-existent. It was unbelievable how open the lanes were off the wing for Orlando. I mean, at one point Orlando was shooting 70% from the floor because they were shooting nothing but layups, okay? I, I could I could sit here and, and critique that and rip on it and everything else, but instead, instead, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that they get two more games against Atlanta tomorrow night and then back home against the Raptors on the most fun night of the year, the night before Thanksgiving, to, to, to bounce back. And so I'm thankful that the, that that's there for them. Brendan, I'm also thankful for the fact that, in my opinion, I, and I didn't always feel this way, but in my opinion, this is the best week of sports in Indiana. Mm. I love it. I love it because you have, you know, there's such a fun thing about, like, the college basketball preseason tournaments where you're playing teams from other leagues the Pacers having home game the night before Thanksgiving. The night before Thanksgiving in general, especially for, you know, when you're younger, is so much fun when people are coming back, you know, that, that have moved to other cities and they're coming back home and, you know, you're calling their parents' house to get together like when you're in your 20s and go back out and hang out at your haunts like you did in college. Like, it's such a fun time. And then something you're going to be involved in, the, the entire atmosphere downtown Friday, the circle of lights combined with the high school football state championships, it's just awesome. And there's just a ton going on and a huge buzz going on, and you're already prepping for it, right? Right or roll. Yeah, I got 2A, North Posey, and then Fort Wayne Lures. So that's going to be a good one. I mean, Lures had a four-peat you know, from 08 to 12, and um, you know, North Posey, they're in the state championship for the first time. You know, They just won their first semi-state, so it's going to be fun. I will say, your first five minutes there about being thankful, that had a very festivist feel to it, which I thought that was a great start yeah, to the show. Yeah, of course. I got a lot of problems. Of I got a lot of problems with you people, and now we're going to talk about it. No, I didn't bring in a big metal pole, right? No metal <laughs> pole, no Festivus pole. I, I'm no, no Jack Black cameo. I'm telling you, like, I'm thankful, right? Why? Listen, why be anything but upbeat? Quite frankly, you know what I mean. Like, you think about it. Everybody's got a short week. Everybody's got the Thanksgiving holiday where you got friends, family, whatever else. Downtown in particular, like, is is. Although I'm curious about this, let me check as I look outside. This is my my. That's a very versatile microphone. You like that? Yeah. Hang on. It's a good move. There you go. So, I'm looking outside. We are on Monument Circle here, 
and, and this is of concern for me. Oh, boy. I'm looking out over the monument. Now, the circle of lights is Friday night, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, tens of thousands come down to Monument Circle to watch the lighting of the world's largest Christmas tree, one of the great traditions in all of America. And yet the entire north side of the monument, there are no steps anymore. There's a huge <laughs> crane. There are three dumpsters and four portalettes. And there are what appear to be like 28 granite or long concrete slabs just stacked up, teetering on one another that are just waiting for one or two kids to get a closer glimpse of Santa for all hell to break loose. This has a recipe for disaster, does it not? They've been working on that for a while. For a while? For, for a while. Brennan, they've been working Forever. on that for longer than like the Cleveland Browns have been searching for a quarterback. I mean, it's insane. I, I thought for sure, honestly, like they're going to have to do something about this by Friday, right? Which is they, crazy because we've had some great weather. It's been a warm November. Totally. But what are like, they doing? I, I, yeah, I don't know. But like, I, I keep saying, I mean, they're going to have to wall off the whole thing just for, <laughs> for like legal purposes, right? Yeah, you could sell tickets in here to come watch the lighting of the tree. Uh, in terms of what the Colts are thankful about, or thankful for, I should say, right now, the Colts probably are thankful for the fact that they had a bye week. And this happened to, to them a few years ago, I remember. There's nothing better than when you have a staycation where you're Eddie Garrison and you just sit at home, right? And all of those teams, we, we keep talking about that traffic jam of the left lane trying to find an opening to get yourself into the discussion of wild card, right? So the Colts are sitting there in the left lane. They, they, you know, they got the hazards on. And for a while, there, it looked like the car was going to overheat, but they put some coolant in it, and now that, that seems to be dissipating. There's no more steam coming off the radiator. And it looks like they've kind of stabilized some things. And you're like, okay, but what about the cars around you? Well, virtually everybody that they're hanging around with that is seemingly a competitor for them for the wild card, not virtually all of them, but a lot of them yesterday – you know, the Colts got some good news and a couple of them losing. Now, Denver last night, they needed Minnesota to kind of do them a solid, right? Don't look now, but Denver's won four straight. And they've evened things up at five and five. And so Denver now all of a sudden is there and they're they're trying to merge into that lane also, right? But it does feel like when you look at the Colts and you look at the trajectory of some of the other teams, you know, the Raiders, I mean, I think we knew, were the Raiders really going to hang around in this situation forever? And here they are now, the Raiders at five and six. Uh, the Chargers just refuse to like get it into gear. They keep stalling. They don't know how to drive an, you know, a manual. And they, they got the wrong rental car. Cleveland probably did them a solid by giving Pittsburgh another loss because Pittsburgh's one that you kind of feel like without their without a great passing game can drive. You know, Cleveland's defense is going to keep them in the thick. Absolutely. But, but Pittsburgh is one that it feels like is kind of teetering. So for the Colts. And then, of course, you got the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, we, we, we talked last week about their whole situation and the fact that with Burrow out, you almost feel like you can kind of dispatch them as well. So things are interesting, if not muddied, in the AFC. Well, here's how I see it. You brought up the highway analogy. The Colts are at a point where they're speeding up in the left lane and you're trying to get cars to move over to the right so you can pass them. Because Correct. these are the quarterbacks you have coming up, Jake, which you just discussed. Baker Mayfield this week, at Will Levis, at Jake Browning now for Cincinnati. Then Kenny Pickett comes here. The Falcons are going back to Desmond Ritter for reports. Heineke to the bench. 
Garoppolo, who knows? I mean, maybe Aiden O'Connell starts at Lucas Oil Stadium on New Year's Eve. And then, of course, who you're probably watching out for most, end of the year, who would have thought? Usually the Colts and Texans at the end of the year, that's all hell breaks loose. C.J. Stroud is playing like an MVP candidate. C.J. Stroud's really good. Really good. And, you know, actually, I'll tell you another aspect of that, Brendan, that I think goes overlooked, is they they Stroud's emergence... I don't even know if I'd say emergence because it's not like he necessarily started off slow. I mean, he's been good from the get-go, right? But his his comfort level has and, – and again, this is – which is chicken, which is egg. But all of a sudden now, Devin Singletary has given them <laughs> an attack out of the backfield where they're able to move the football on the ground and he can kind of get incorporated in the passing game as well. But, um, you know, it is amazing what happens when you have a, a quarterback – that is able to, as he had said, C.J. Stroud during the combine, be you know a ball placement specialist and put the ball where it needs to go, how much that can open up other things offensively. And now Houston does have an offensive attack that, that you kind of got to be, you know, you, you got to look at it from both angles in terms of how you try to limit what the Texans want to do. I, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was flipping through and watched a little of Tennessee yesterday. And you forget, it's like, man, what would C.J. Stroud be doing even more so if he had DeAndre Hopkins to throw to? You know, you kind of forget about that. And, of course, who knows what all factored into that decision to move on from Hopkins. You know, I mean, there could have been a million things going on there. Um, but, look, Stroud is really good. And and when you say MVP candidate, as much of that about the way he's playing as – the fact that nobody else really has jumped up to take that title yet, right? No, not at all. I mean, he, you bring up Hopkins. C.J. Stroud, at times this year, because there have been games where they've struggled, but he has made Nico Collins and Tank Dell look like all pro wide receivers at times. Now, be it Collins and Dell, they've made some pretty nice catches, but guess who's putting the ball there? It's the rookie C.J. Stroud. And the AFC South quarterback lineage, I mean, whenever it's going, and we'll see what Levis turns out with in Tennessee. I mean, I, I've never been a Levis guy. But the fact that you're going to have, when all is pushing well, Lawrence Stroud-Richardson going together in the division, I mean, that suddenly becomes one of the better quarterback divisions in all football. I, do you think Levis looks like a guy that can be – I think Levis looks okay. Serviceable. I don't know about – will he be better than Tannehill? I, that's a great benchmark, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think probably, at the very least, the equivalent, right? I he mean, like get I think, there. I, I think Levis does show some – I mean, for a rookie quarterback, rookie, man, it's tough. And I do think that he looks relatively composed, if nothing else. I mean, you get some rookies out there that just look a little bit shell-shocked. And I'll tell you one of them, switching gears again. So let's talk about last night's Pacer game, right? I know the Pacers are coming off four days off. They're going against an Orlando team that has not one, not two, not three. Eddie Garrison, I'm going to ask a trivia question. I'm going to put Eddie on the spot. You oh ready? Boy. You were producing the game yesterday, right? Yes. Um, the Orlando Magic have four players from the same school. What school? Oh. I did not know this and would not have known it had I not looked at the roster yesterday, to be fair to you. Uh, Michigan. That is correct. Mm. Four Michigan Wolverines on the floor. So, But what they have... And I think I've made no secret about the fact that I'm a. I really have always liked Jalen Suggs. I know that it, it, he hasn't blossomed yet into the guy that we, the, you know, totally thought he was going to be when he came out of college. But Paolo Banquero is really good, and he is. There, there was a moment late in the game yesterday 
where there was a they were reviewing a play. I can't remember what the but there was a there was a lapse in in the action. And everybody's kind of standing around. And by this point, most of the starters had been pulled from the game. So Orlando's five players on the floor are standing there, hands on hip, looking at, you know, they're waiting for the replay officials to do whatever. And all of a sudden, a guy from the Orlando bench leaves the bench, walks out onto the floor, which was appropriate during this time because it was a timeout. It wasn't like it was during the gameplay. Walks out and gives like a, a fist bump and or five and a quick comment to all five players on the Orlando floor, all five of which were reserve players in their relative roles. And it was Paulo Bancaro. And I don't know him as a guy, obviously. I only know that he was once misidentified as Patrick Mahomes during an F1 grid walk. And, but he, he is a really good player, and he's a very multi-skilled player that a lot of things are facilitated through. But the other thing that Orlando does really well, at least they did yesterday, was every player that they had in their ball movement, which was really crisp, they had very fast ball movement, and each player that would get the ball on the elbow, it was not like a stop to look to pass or even square up to shoot move. Every one of them immediately would get it and attack the basket. And the Pacers allowed it. I mean, the Pacers' defense last night, the Pacers have struggled defensively this year, but last night was their worst defensive performance, in my opinion. I mean, they absolutely facilitated and allowed for Orlando on a regular basis to take the highest percentage of shots. They did nothing to push people to 10 feet and out. I mean, not, nothing. It was it was absurd. Um, part of that, I and there are games, and I'm not excusing the Pacers by any stretch, Brendan, but we see this with all teams in any sport. There are certain games where you go out and for whatever reason, you're like, literally nothing is going their way. And the roof just caved in. And before you know it, I mean, I looked up at one point and they were doubled up. It was 76-38. I, like, I looked at the first half box score just rolling through. I, I was driving home and I couldn't believe it. I mean... They were down what eighty to fifty four, I think, at the half. I mean, they, it, it was unbelievable. And so then, so what I was going to say about guys being like a little bit shell shocked or, or things just happening too fast. So finally, Rick Carlisle says, "Okay, enough. I'm going to just see what I can do to, you know, what I can get out of guys." So he kind of cleans the bench out. Ben Shepard comes in, plays sixteen minutes. Uh, actually, Jordan Wara probably played the best of anybody off the bench. He was he, great. He, he kind of made the score respectable. Because he came in and got 19 in 23 minutes. but And I know he's a young player. And I know that you really can't even in any way, shape, or form judge off of this. And he wasn't drafted for his offensive prowess per se. But Jarris Walker, I think, continues to look like the game is moving way too fast for him. Mm. Especially offensively. His first three shots, I think it was, you know, he got a fairly open look of a three on the wing. And you could just tell... I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I think it happens more in golf. But in basketball, if you go into any sort of a slump, the worst thing that can happen to you is you start to think about your mechanics. Yeah. And so you're getting the ball, and for whatever reason, as you're you're lifting up, what you've done instinctively 15,000 times in your life, you're now thinking it through, and your brain is telling your arm how to move, and it just throws everything off. And that's what Jairus Walker 
looks like. I remember Rick Smith's in his early career when the ball would go into Rick Smith's, you could see the gears in Rick, in Rick Smith's head turning on what he was supposed to do. And it took a long time before basketball was then instinctive to him. And when that happened, then, because a lot of people forget, Rick Smith's is a rookie. Steve Stepanovich had been hurt. Smith's was not intended to play right away. But Stepanovich got hurt, and Smith's was forced into a starting role as a rookie. And it was a learning curve for certain. And it wasn't really until like 92, 93, especially once he had, you know, Dale and Antonio Davis and that kind of thing. At that point, you could see where Smith's offensively was no longer thinking about it. Jarris Walker looks like a guy that is still thinking about it and is totally unsure of where he needs to be. So last night is probably important. And I guess the benefit of a blowout game like that is you allow him to get minutes and just get familiar. But Brennan, he looked last night like he just had to think the entire time. It reminded me when I played freshman basketball at North Central, and I know it's absurd to compare that to an NBA. I, I get it, right? But when we would play open gym, and I'd be out there with Tony Barbie and Bill Gillis and guys that were bigger, stronger, faster than I, then all of a sudden I started th- – I was so – I was constantly thinking about what I needed to do next. And by in that thinking – was like an anchor. It slowed me down because I wasn't allowing anything to just naturally flow. And that's kind of what he looks like. Same thing happens in golf. I mean, I am the ultimate think about my last shot guy when I golf, which is probably not good. But it also happens in other professional sports. I mean, think about pitchers that get the yips. When you are thrown off in your mechanics when you're trying to throw on the mound, that that ends careers. That's why Rick Ann Keel became an outfielder. So, But you're in a position at least where if you're Jairus Walker, you're drafted, you're a first-round pick, there's expectations. But at least the Pacers are not relying on him to figure that out as quickly as he probably would have had to if he was on this team sooner. If he was in the Bjorken year or when this team was really rebuilding and he had to play serious minutes, I'd be a little bit more concerned. But there is that benchmark and safety net where you can allow him to learn along the way and you're in a spot where guys are above him and albeit they did wave Daniel Tice but there are you know the Jalen Smiths of the world and there's the Isaiah Jacksons of the world who probably have the rotation spot above him where Walker can learn those lessons and you know if he has to play during blowouts to to learn that then so be it you know the so you said you were on your way home last night what'd you do over the weekend anything uh yeah so I uh I got back from Florida uh was visiting my parents I I also Jake uh, if I can I want to give a shout out to my dad uh who is listening right now my dad uh spent some time in the hospital down in Florida last week I just want to give a big thank you to the hospital doctors and Nurse staff at NCH North down in Naples. Um, they did some, uh, you know, I don't want to overemphasize this word, but they did some life saving work. Uh, so I just want to thank them and, um, you know, for their diligent work. And my dad's now resting at home. So he's listening right now. And um, did, was he go able to through, come back. did he go through a pr- procedure similar to that I would be familiar with? It, it was not that procedure, okay. but uh, th- they did some terrific stuff and uh, th- they were amazing. So love you, dad, and thanks for listening. And, but yeah, that was the end of my week traveled back and hanging here with you so your parents live in what area of florida Uh, bonita springs and that's just north of naples just north of downtown naples that's on the west side ocean side right uh gulf side so when we go to a panthers game we go across alligator alley and takes about an hour and go enjoy it uh before we get to don fisher who's going to join us coming up in just a second we'll talk about indiana indiana and louisville coming up later today you can hear that over on our sister station wibc that game tips at 4 30 um somebody just asked me this so i wanted to pass this along it is that time of year where you should start thinking about these kinds of things 
Uh, I have in the past talked about the Children's Bureau of Indianapolis, which is located on the west side of town on MLK. They are fabulous. They have rebranded. They are now known as Firefly. Uh, so, Jake, what is Firefly? Good question. So what that is, is it, it, and it's awful to think of this, but it is a reality. If you watch, for example, like On Patrol Live or any of those shows, and you see, and it's heartbreaking when you see it, but you see a domestic situation or maybe a, a DUI situation, and there's a young child or a young person involved in the car that goes then that has to be removed from that situation of danger or uncertainty or whatever it may be. In situations where it is an abusive situation, not necessarily even on the child, but that there is abuse within the home, and child protection services have yet to be able to go over the case in its entirety and find other family members that can come to the rescue of a child, in those moments when a child needs to be removed from a situation and temporarily housed in a safe environment, that is the role to this city that Firefly plays. And I have been, I'll just give a little glimpse here, uh, about two years ago, I went through, I, I toured through the facility, the residential part of Firefly, where, where children live. Each child that goes to Firefly in that emergency situation still goes to their regular school. They, they, they operate as if things are normal, so their peers, their friends are not necessarily aware of what's going on. So if a child, for example, goes to a school in, uh, I'll just say Decatur Township, and is staying at Firefly, they still have the way to facilitate for that child the next day to still show up at school as if everything was A-OK. -okay. Just after school, they go back to Firefly. They have their own bedroom with stuffed animals and whatnot. And I'll never forget, and this probably is why I have been more proactive about it. When I toured through and they were taking me through, uh, I went into one of the bedrooms. The, the kids were all at school. So I went into one of the bedrooms, and there in the bed – it had laying, the bed was perfectly made, and there were two stuffed animals laying next to each other in the bed, like hugging one another. Yeah. And they said that that was not uncommon for kids because kids wanted to facilitate or show that it, there is a way for them to live in a world where peaceful, where people live with love and harmony as opposed to strife and conflict. And it was heartbreaking to see it. Uh, but all of the kids that live at Firefly, um, have made Christmas wish lists for the folks at Firefly, for those that are going to be living there through the holidays, and you can actually sponsor one of the kids, and it's amazing because they are told that they can ask for whatever they want for Christmas, and, and normally it is very manageable requests, very manageable requests. I go a little above and beyond, admittedly, um, but if you go to Twitter or X or whatever it's called, at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y, is the web is uh is my twitter handle it is the pinned tweet i have a link right there where you can select the child that you want to adopt and take care of and facilitate for them to get their holiday wish list taken care of also if you want to text me i will send you the link directly 317-523-9288 i think most have that number by now but if you send me a text i'll send you the link uh for firefly.org fireflyin.org fireflyin.org don fisher is next Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Don Fisher's on the subway in New York, so we're going to wait until he gets back up uh, at street level, right? And we'll check in with him in just a couple of minutes. You had asked, Brennan, good question. You know, are we going to discuss football or basketball with him? I, this time of year where you, you get both, Don Fisher's so got like, the busiest week ever. What's that, Eddie? We've gotten teased the last three times. The, the Hoosiers have lost. Eddie, I haven't been Eddie, able to Eddie, whip Eddie, out the snaps. Eddie, 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 Eddie. I'm unfamiliar. Eddie, how old are you, Eddie? I'm 25. Okay. Do you know what all 25 of those years have in common? IU losing football games. A huge tease, right? This is this is the norm, buddy, right? Yep. I mean, the, the, you feel bad for Indiana because the one year that they put together a great football season and no one was allowed to see it in person, right? <laughs> right. I mean, was that it maybe? Was that the snapping reason? wasn't around yet. Oh, boy. What's the snapping? Brendan. I, this is my first day at the company. I changed jobs. Actually, I'm just filling in. Speaking of which, you can were... we get Jimmy from jury duty? <laughs> you would you like to uh, enlighten Brendan King here on the snaps with Indiana football, Eddie? Uh, so whenever oh, IU... it's the Tom Allen thing. There you go. Yeah, I got you. Well, go ahead for those that are listening and don't know. Um, I can't remember which game it was they won, but it was a it game. Was, it was the four overtime game against Akron. Yes, yes. after Akron in in the in the locker room after the game. That's Tom right. Allen goes oh one. I do. Yeah, you know what to do. Do we have it? We have the audio, don't we? So that was during that was during baseball season, still for me. So I watched that probably on the bus, half asleep, and well, so were they. Yeah. A one, I mean, a two. You know what to do. Now, at this point, half of the locker room, literally half of the locker room, is staring at the floor. Like literally, they're like, "We're not really doing this, right?" We just beat Akron, who has not beaten a Power 5 team in like nine years. And we took like four. It was so bad. It was so bad that when they got to the like fourth overtime, because they would have to go from one end of the field to the next, the the crowd was getting up and moving to the other because literally the only people left in the game were like the end zone of width of fans. Now, I didn't see... The game against Michigan State on Saturday, I didn't see the attendance, but I saw somebody sent out a, a video like 15 minutes before the game when they were honoring the seniors, and there literally were like 200 people in the stands. That's tough. I mean, part of that's the weather, admittedly. But like Indiana football just amuses me because you get all these people that are like, oh man, tailgating, and everybody's posting on Facebook, like, I need a tailgate spot for the game. And that lasts, and I know that that's a largely weather based thing because Bloomington's beautiful in the fall. But literally by Halloween time, it's like, yeah, I mean, it drops dramatically and drastically, right? Was that game at Akron? No, it was, no, in was Bloomington. It, it was at, okay. It was in Bloomington. But like, but you know, the ball bounces the other way a few times in Indiana. St- I mean, they had Illinois on the ropes that, you know, it was a great effort for them to come back, I guess. But, you know, they win that game and then. They they enter against Michigan State with bowl eligibility still in play. When you lose to Michigan State, though, I mean, think about Michigan State's football season. Worse. They, they start out like, you know, with some expectation. Their coach gets caught for what, like having phone sex with the HR director of sexual harassment department? It's not a great look. 
quite so, the position. So he gets fired. Or that's that's right. So he gets fired. Now you have an interim coach. You had like six starters that were hurt. They've had like four transfer. I mean, absolute dysfunction junction. And yet, the one piece of stability on the year for Michigan State is they're able to come in and beat Indiana. It got so bad for them that they brought D'Antonio back to basically coach for a week. Yeah, I, honestly. Unbelievable. Now, all of that said, and I know that no one would dispute this. Tom Allen is absolutely 150% one of the most decent people. I don't know Tom Allen. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend and be disingenuous by saying I have like a personal relationship with him. I've obviously spoken with him. I've obviously met him. But I know a lot of people that are around him a great deal. And I've never heard anything other than he is a very kind and well-intended, good-hearted individual. All the way from, you know, I had... A mutual friend that was on his staff that fell ill and Tom Allen was wonderful to him, to his contributions to Damar and different philanthropic groups. No question about any of that stuff. But the reality is it's a bottom line business and the bottom line is winning football games and he is 3-23 and in his last 26 Big Ten games. And that's the reality. But the question then becomes, is Indiana assertive enough to make a change now or do they wait until the buyout drops out? Because it does feel like at this point it's a fait accompli that, that a change would be made. But we shall see. But last night, basketball, as we talked about, Indiana and Connecticut. Now the Hoosiers getting set for Louisville today. Don Fisher joining us to talk about exactly that. And, Don, I guess the good news, actually, um, you know, you had talked about it, and we've talked about it, too. When you have a roster of new faces that are not used to playing with one another, you're going to take some lumps. And that happened yesterday against Connecticut. I guess is it good news or bad news for Indiana that they've got to turn right back around and basically not even look over that game film but get right back into the next one today against Louisville? Well, I don't know if it's a good thing that they didn't look at game film because I'm guaranteeing you that they did. <laughs> well, yeah, they probably uh, went right back and watched it for a while, right? But you, you get what I'm saying, though, right? Like, not dwell on it, I guess, is a better way of saying it. Well, exactly. And, and you know, I, I, I will say this about the performance by Indiana yesterday – the defensive end of the floor, I like what I saw from that perspective. And I, I saw it for most of the ball game, uh, down to about the six-minute mark of the second half. But obviously, they did they couldn't overcome the foul issues that they had. They lose Malik Renew to fouls and Xavier Johnson out to fouls. And those two guys were critical in this ball game. And X hardly played at all when you consider uh, the first half. He got two quick ones and then got a third one when he came back in right away. So they had to sit him again. Uh yesterday did a great job i think he's really uh, upped his game dramatically over a year ago i don't think there's much question about that and at the same time uh indiana is still struggling to shoot the three to, to defend against the three their rebounding has been well yesterday it was horrible uh 44 to 22 in that regard and yet they didn't they didn't move the ball aside from trying to get it into malik they just didn't move the ball right and, and they couldn't shoot threes themselves so Against a team like the number five ranked Connecticut Huskies, the defending national champs, you're not going to get get it done. Hey, Don, it's Brendan. You, Best basketball. You just led me into my first question of the rebounding numbers, getting out rebounded by 22, shooting three for 13 from beyond the arc. Is either one of those more concerning than the other in your mind, at least at this stage right now? 
No, I don't think I don't think one over the other. <laughs> I think it's hugely important in both cases. I, I think the rebounding aspect of it has been an issue in almost every game we've seen at this point. They they just haven't rebounded at a, at the kind of margin you would think a ball club with this size factor uh, has. We expect, I guess, but at the same time. Again, we're talking about new faces, guys that haven't been with the program very long, playing a lot of minutes, and without question, it's a ball club right now that's trying to find itself. And Mike Woodson's trying to push all the buttons that he possibly can to get him to do that. They haven't played anywhere close to what we think they're capable of playing to this point. I guess that's the good news. The bad news is they're still not where they need to be uh, this early in the season. Don, I want you to, to tell me if I'm – because the – this is entirely possible, and I mean this seriously. Maybe I'm too big a cynic, but I don't dispute by any stretch of the imagination that McKenzie Mbako is a massive, talented player. I mean, you don't get the level of recruiting attention that he did and have the resume that he did before arriving without having some skill set. But my outside observation is that he has yet to really grasp the level of intensity or energy that is necessary to play at the division one college basketball level and that that's still a learn in process now is that an accurate observation or am i being jaded by the hype that was around him coming in no i think i it's probably a combination of the two but i don't i honestly think you're right i I don't think that he has at this juncture grasped how difficult to change from high school the college is and that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a really good player in the future or anything like that it just means that it takes time to understand that sometimes and when you've been able to do pretty much what you wanted to do as a player all the way through your career at this point and then you run into this little buzzsaw that's called college basketball and upgrade and, and what you're going to face sometimes it just takes more time for some guys than it does others and at this point, I guess that's probably where we he, – he is a talented kid, and he's got great skills. Um, he's, an excellent, he's an excellent shooter. We haven't yet. I mean, his three-point shooting has been abysmal to this point. But he is capable of knocking down shots. And, and in this offense, sometimes you've got to be able to find your shot. And so far, he hasn't been – it's going to come at some juncture. It's just a matter of how long and how and when it's going to. The following question might, Don, vary from year to year based on roster, okay? But for the most part, you've, you've done this for a long time. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, our guest. When you have a team with new faces that are that are learning each other like Indiana does right now, you know, back in the day, you would look at Indiana in March, you'd look back at November and December and go, gosh, they were abysmal. You know, whether it would be playing in Hawaii, I think it was, in, or, or Alaska, or, you know, getting dunked on by Syracuse in 89 and putting it together. But realistically, Don, you have to be how many games into it before you have a true, and I know I've asked you that before, but for this group, you feel like they need how many games before we truly then can determine who they are? I think it's going to probably take all the way through the non-conference because they've got some tough games upcoming. Um, and and maybe it won't take that long, but right now I'm going to give them that until we get into Big Ten play on a consistent basis, which, of course, doesn't happen until January, even though they've got two Big Ten ball games coming up here in December, early or here in just a couple of weeks, actually. Um, 
Because I, I do think it takes time. I do think that this ball club has the talent to get it done. And right now, I think they're just trying to find themselves as a team. And I think the coaching staff is trying to do what they can to get these guys to understand what's at, at hand. And I think this week, at the game that we saw yesterday against UConn, I, I was impressed with uh, Indiana's uh, toughness and, and on the defensive end of the floor yesterday in the first half. They, they didn't they didn't give uh, anything up in that sense. They battled every time that they were down the floor defensively, and I thought they did a pretty good job. They were down just seven points at halftime, and really it was a, still a seven to ten point ball game with about six minutes to go when uh, obviously Malik Renew was uh, fouled out of the contest, and from that point forward it was no contest, but. I, I still think you've got to give this team plenty of time. If it takes till the end of uh, or till the start of the regular season in, in the uh, Big Ten back in early January, so be it. But obviously, you want to see progress and you want to see a difference in this team as they go forth. And that's the one thing you've got to you got to hope you, you can hang your hat on as this season progresses. And of course, today against Louisville, a team that everybody was counting out uh, three games into the season after looking not very good against the Charlotte team that beat them and playing just okay against two other average teams at best, um, all of a sudden they come up and almost bite Texas in the butt yesterday with, with that performance that uh, Louisville had. And now this is going to be another highly charged ball game in that sense for this Indiana basketball team. And I, I think it's good at this point to have to deal with that and find out where you're exactly at. Don, on UConn themselves, 4-0 start after being the national champion, is there a certain characteristic you can point to about that team that they possess that you think Indiana could maybe learn something from if the Hoosiers want to get to the point that the Huskies have been in recent years? Well, I would say this. Uh, what I saw yesterday was pretty impressive uh, from the way they ran their offense, and they did it uh, with Tristan Newton being a major factor. I mean, he was tremendous in that ball game yesterday as was cam spencer both guards played just excellent basketball did all the right things didn't force things um took the shots that were available made shots when they are important to be made uh we saw two really good guard play a uh, guards play yesterday for that uconn ball club and i think the rest of their team is fine i don't think they're superstar status i think the Klingon kid has of course gotten a great reputation coming off of last season in which he backed up the, the other Connecticut center. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he was really good. And this kid came in off the bench, and, and he just backed him up and did really solid things. Yesterday, he was just an average post player. Uh, I thought Indiana did a nice job on him yesterday. So uh, what, I, what I know right now at this point in the season, if you've got really good guards who understand what they're supposed to be doing out there and can get these other guys to do what they're supposed to do, that's when you're going to have a good basketball team. And I think that's why UConn right now is playing the best of anybody that I've seen at this point. And I'm not talking about everybody in the country. I'm just talking about who Indiana's played and some of the games I've watched on TV. Don, I got to know, Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, you got like the world's most, I'm assuming, a totally chaotic scheduling week ahead of you because you've got football and basketball, you know, cross-pollinating right now. But when it's the week of Thanksgiving, which is more nostalgically cool and fun? Indiana versus Louisville or doing a game in the garden? Uh, <laughs> Jake, I can't even think about that right now. <laughs> All I can tell you is it's been so busy. You're just, get, you're just prepping for the next thing that you've got to do. And I've got another game to do today. I've got talk show to do on Wednesday night. 
And then, of course, I'll have a respite for at least a half a day on Thanksgiving <laughs> before we prep for the uh, Purdue ball game. And I've got to do part of that tomorrow as well. So uh, it's, it's so busy right now. It's hectic for me. I'm an old man, and everything takes a half hour longer than it used to. <laughs> so I could, just, I could just tell you that right now I haven't thought about any of those things. People ask me, well, what are you doing in New York? I said, basically get ready. Sleeping, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know you're busy when you're in New York City, and you're like, I just want to go back to the hotel. Do they have room service? You know, I, I know <laughs> I the drill, man. I haven't re- had any room service, but I've gone down to the bar or the bar restaurant down here in the hotel for sure. There you go. All right. Well, Don, we'll be listening. Uh, the Hoosiers back at it in the garden. And then again, bucket game this weekend as well. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well with everything going on. Same to you guys and same to all the fans out there. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. All right. Don Fisher, Thanks, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Again, Indiana today, 430. So coming up here, uh, just a couple of hours right back at it. And, and, you know, I don't know, Brendan, when you look at that game yesterday, was it more about UConn or more about Indiana? Probably a little of both, right? UConn had more both. turnovers. By the way, J-Law, did you watch – Eddie, you saw the Akron game, right? Yeah. J-Law disagrees with me and says that wasn't true about the crowd at the end of the Akron game. It was like – I think it like led SportsCenter, showing the crowd going back and forth, right? Uh, I don't recall if it led SportsCenter, but – But you know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. At the end of the game, in the last overtime – as they had to move from one end of the field to the other, they showed all of the the crowd getting up and, and going across. And, you know, maybe it was the student section, whatever it was, but it was a, a one side of the, like, literally, it was 10% of the crowd getting up of the stands. Was that? I didn't hallucinate it. By lead sports center? Do you mean that was SVP's best thing he saw today? Yeah, I mean, like, because when they, who would have thought at the start of the day the best thing that SVP would have seen was Akron? Well, I, you know, football. I think, was the game maybe on? Was it on Big Ten or was it on ESPN? But, ooh, it might have been. Maybe it was Big Ten Network, but whoever, yeah. whatever show was on immediately following was like, hey, hey, look at this, and they showed the, the video of it. Uh, Kevin Bowen going to join us at 1 o'clock. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Before we get to Kevin Bowen, we're going to introduce Brendan King, who is filling in for Jimmy Cook. Jimmy on jury duty, uh, we assume, back next week, but we shall see. Um, depends on whether or not uh, – j- uh, j- all Jimmy told me was, I'm pretty sure the guy did it. And I'm like, well, then I don't know if you're going to get picked. But we'll see if he gets along. Well, he's not at liberty to be discussing the I, case. Well, I so know. I, and, well, you may they, just outed him, Jake. They told me he, they took his phone. Uh, and and What's he supposed to bet on? That's exactly right. That's the thing. Is the other thing they found out is he was on one of the apps and put down a plus one fifty that the guy's guilty. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I don't know if that's. So we're going to introduce Brendan to a new segment that we do uh, that we introduced on this program. Uh, it is known as Robin the Genie. Fire it up there, Eddie. Here's what we do, Brendan. You're walking along. This is intense. The street. You're enjoying yourself a bottle of your favorite beverage, non-alcoholic okay. variation. Uh huh. And as you get done, you throw the bottle aside, and all of a sudden you see a, a little cloud, and before you know it, a genie appears before you. 
I can't remember the genie voice that I did, but I'm going to make up a genie voice now. You ready? It was like a Zoltar voice. <laughs> what? That's it, what you did. Was it like this? Yes. Okay. Brendan King. Genie. You are filling in for Jimmy Cook. It's Robin, by the way. My name is Robin the Genie. Okay, Robin. Where's your Batman? I have a question for you. Different to Robin. Thank you. My question for you is... If you get this exactly right, we will reconvene, reconvene in two months. I'll give you $1 million. <laughs> Please write down for me the four teams in the college football playoff. Ooh. Right? Figuratively yeah. speaking, Brendan. I mean, we're talking about a genie out of a bottle. I don't think we're being <laughs> literal here. Okay. Your four teams that are going to make the college football playoff. There are a number of factors that come into this, in my humble opinion. But go ahead. Off the top of your head, they are who? Georgia. Okay. Ohio State. Okay. Washington. Okay. I'll say Michigan also gets in. Okay. So you are saying Florida State is bounced, right? Right. Florida State's out because their quarterback is now done for the year and they got to go with a backup. Yes, Robin. Okay, here's the thing. I think you're correct, but what do you do if Washington and Oregon, if Oregon beats Washington, does Oregon go? Even though Oregon lost to Washington earlier in the year? Yes. Oregon's fourth right now, so they theoretically would they would hold serve and they would go, right? That would cement them Probably. In. If Washington beats Oregon, does Washington move from nine all the way up to four and get themselves in? Yes. And Oregon's bounced out at that point? Yes. Because here's the thing, and I hate to say this. I hate with every instinct in my body to say this, but I've never been more sure about anything in my life. Hit me. Ohio State's going to beat Michigan. I'm with you. Ohio State's going to beat Michigan, and because I believe that game is in the big house, correct? Yes. Michigan losing at home, that is going to bounce the Wolverines out of it. It's going to be Georgia, Ohio State, and then I will say... You going with the two Pac-12 teams? Yes, because I think Oregon's going to beat Washington. Mm. And I think that's going to pull Mm. both of them in. Alabama's Alabama's lurking, though. Oh, Alabama's lurking. They're hanging in the corner of the bar. They are. Alabama's lurking, man. I'm telling you. Ready to strike. And here's the thing about Alabama. Alabama could be like 9-4, and four, and yet still that's the one that nobody wants Alabama yeah. in because they're like, don't let them in because you just never know. Alabama's like the St. Louis Cardinals when they get a wild card. You're like, just don't let them in because they never die. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. One o'clock hour on a Monday on a shortened week for most everyone. 
Hope you are set to enjoy a fabulous Thanksgiving holiday, be it with your family, friends, whatever it might be. If you're traveling, stay safe. Uh, Again, pinned tweet on my Twitter account to help sponsor a child or children, however many you would like, at Firefly, which is formerly the Children's Bureau for children that have been, that are kind of in the foster, beginning the foster process. And the wish lists, most of them are very humble and certainly encourage all of you to find on Twitter on my pinned tweet. Thanks to those of you who also sent me a text asking for the link. I will happily send you the link where you can sponsor a needy and worthy child for the holiday season. Joining us now on the hotline, and before we even talk about the Colts, we've got to get the total rundown from his maiden voyage to an SEC road, not I guess early evening game, a late afternoon game between Tennessee and Georgia that started out totally raucous for the Vols, and then all hell broke loose. Uh, Kevin Bowen, did you survive the weekend? Survive in advance, we did. Um, boy, we thought we were on top of the world after that 75-yard touchdown, and then yeah, Georgia quickly brought 100,000 back to reality very, very quickly. Uh, I honestly feel, and Jake, you'd be the per- perfect person to us out there, do you see any, like, Neyland similarities to IMS at all? Yes, because I think that – well, and I'll begin by asking you this to answer the question, Kevin. Did, did you guys just kind of randomly pick that game, or did you have somebody in your group that was a, a Tennessee fan? No, random. Okay. Um, we got a buddy that lives like in the Atlanta area, so you know that kind a of good made meeting sense. point, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that it's similar to IMS in this regard, and that is that I think people from the outside know the size and the magnitude of it, and so you have an expectation going in. But I think it would be difficult to find somebody who goes for the first time that then doesn't have a desire to again experience it all over again because it is a very electric feel of all of the sensations. Yeah, and, and by sensations, I, I mean senses, not just yeah. a November, a November pee in a trough, which you know I, I haven't really done uh, many times, <laughs> if, if any, in my life. But um, you know, older venue. To your point, I mean, size standpoint, you know, it's sitting right there on campus. It's not like you know we're in whatever some city twenty minutes outside of Knoxville. Uh, so that kind of brought out some IMS feels to it. Um, you know, obviously the pageantry and the SEC tailgate atmosphere and all that kind of speaks for itself. Just experiencing that was pretty cool. And, you know, obviously if you pick a you know Tennessee home game, the fact that you got Peyton Manning and Dolly Parton in the stadium on the same day uh, certainly brought out all the feels for, I think, a lot of Tennessee fans. So, yeah, all of it was, was a great, great time. Certainly wish the game would have been more competitive just to get some – sort of kind of second half fourth quarter atmosphere but i was a big fan of it and hope uh, we can make it kind of an annual sec different venue each year sort of thing how were the fans they were great yeah they were um i think you were the one that honestly said this to me on friday they were like yeah you were like you know tell them you know this is your first time ever an sec game and you know universally it was like you know it wasn't like them looking at us like how'd you get those tickets it was more just like oh this is awesome you do this and do that and yeah, go grab a plate there. yeah, there's plenty of food for everybody yeah yeah i did think if i was gonna nip it a little bit i thought friday night we like went to their market square market district i forget exactly what the exact term is i thought it was a little bit I don't know if like quiet is the right word, but just, I don't know, lacked a little bit of juice. And I just assumed that like this was the marquee home game of the year and you would get a little bit more of a Friday night feel to it. But it, it was still fun just, you know, experiencing a different college town and things like that. 
Um, and then, yeah, for uh, for all of about you know ninety seconds, uh, the game was uh, was incredible. <laughs> that that opening play though had to have been pretty awesome. But, oh man! Um, no, yeah, nuts. Kevin, what would you assume? Kevin Bowen is our guest. Of course, you hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney on the wake up call. What would you assume that the the breakdown is or what most Colts players do on the bye week. I mean, essentially for you covering the Colts, it was a bye weekend, right? You didn't have the game to cover. So you went to Tennessee. You think most guys go back to see their college play. Most guys go back to watch their high school or most guys go to a beach. That's a good one. I would probably venture to guess college high school. Um, I don't know, maybe for some of them they can pull off a little beach atmosphere with that. I mean, I'm sure there are some that get away. If I'm not mistaken, I think they got a full week. Um, so, obviously, you would have plenty of time if you wanted to do that once you landed. You know, or once they landed back in the States, you know, late Sunday, early Monday of last week. Um, but, yeah, I would say, for the most part, kind of ex-college, ex, you know, we had the Tennessee game, for example. Alvin Kamara, you know, got honored at the end of the first quarter uh, or whenever that was, um, you know, the saints were on a bye this week. So um, I do think that's kind of a popular thing to do is probably a little bit more of a ex college or yeah. Yeah. Former college, former high school feel to it and experience a bye week that way. What's up, Kev? It's PK. So we were talking about this earlier, the rest of the season, probably the next really intimidating quarterback you see is going to be on January 7th. That's CJ Stroud. And in the next period of time, Baker Mayfield, Will Levis, Jake Browning, Kenny Pickett, the Falcons are going back to Desmond Ritter, and then maybe Aiden O'Connell at home. Who knows what happens on New Year's Eve? That's like dealer's choice at that point. So uh, what's the general feel just knowing that for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, six weeks, you're probably going to see less than stellar QBs? Yeah, it's astonishing when you read off the list, and obviously – you know, the, the Burrow injury was a huge one. I mean, is Baker Mayfield the second-best quarterback you're going to see the rest of the year? Probably. Coming up on Sunday? I mean, you know, you can make a strong possibility of that, um, which, again, I mean, think about how many teams Baker has started for in the last, you know, 18 months. So uh, it is pretty wild how that has transpired. And, I mean, I remember – I mean, hell, I remember Jake and I having this conversation when the, when the schedule came out in May. And, by the way, BK, always great to hear your voice. Um, you too, When the schedule came out in May – you know, this was one of the bigger calling cards for me and why I felt like the Colts would, you know, be on the over of whatever that Vegas uh, win-loss total was at the start of the year just because I felt like quarterback-wise it was not daunting at all, uh, especially here in the back half. And, and yeah, I mean, you've had, uh, yeah, I would probably say one big injury to Burrow. I guess Jimmy Garoppolo might qualify as another. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it's all these guys kind of starting their quarterbacks, you know, Tannehill maybe, you know, being benched, but – uh, that was always, I think, one up in the air. And, and then, you know, who knows <laughs> what, what C.J. Stroud or what Houston's going to look like from the season finale because, you know, that is light years away. So um, I'll be very, very curious to see just how the Colts handle that. And it's a great opportunity. And honestly, Gardner Minshew might be the better quarterback in several of those matchups, which you know, considering how he's played lately, that's not something that you would say with a whole lot of confidence. Kevin, I can't recall if it was – last year or two years you know my years all kind of run together but I remember at one point coming off a bye you and I having the discussion of like the Colts didn't do any there were a couple of times last year and maybe we were thinking more for draft pick purposes but like the Colts didn't do anything and everything improved around them you know they got all the help they needed certainly two years ago I think that might have been the case in the hard knocks year on a couple weekends but this weekend on a bye when the Colts were away from one another 
in terms of just the standings around them, they come out of the bye week improved, hurt a little bit by what everybody else did, or status quo? I want to say they dropped one spot based off yesterday. That won't change tonight with, you know, Kansas City's obviously well above them and leading their division no matter what happens with that game in Philly. Um, but, you know, you, you go back to last Thursday. I mean, that was the big, big one. Not only, you know, Cincinnati losing, but then losing Burrow for the rest of the season. Um, so I want to say right now they're ninth in the playoffs. So, you know, seven teams make it. So they're two spots out. And I believe you play six and seven. Uh, that would be Houston and Pittsburgh. So you play each of them at home. Uh, the rest of the season, and then you also play uh, in Houston, or um, not Houston, in Oakland, and in Cincinnati, you play a couple teams uh, right behind you as well. So, um, you know, you have a lot of this in your control. The math might not call for this right now, but I think five wins would certainly get you in. I mean, that would be 10 and 7. I think that would be enough. And four wins, you could make a case. Now a lot of this will come down to head-to-heads and those sort of tiebreakers. And you don't have like a head-to-head tiebreaker over Cleveland, for example, and they're right there above you in the wild card. But Eddie and I were actually just talking about this on the podcast that we recorded. The Colts are 4-3 and three right now in the AFC. And while that might not scream like a great, great record, it is when you compare them to many other uh, AFC teams. I think, in fact, if you compare them to the other five and five teams right now, the reason why the Colts are above those other five and five teams is because they have the better AFC record. So, um, yeah, I, I would say they got a little little help. The Burrow injury, of course, is big, big help. But more than anything, uh, the fact that they're four and three in the conference um, is, is, is right now is a big strength that they have. Do you still have that – like gallon sized jar of and this is horrific the the duke's mayo that mark dykton bought when Ugh. we did the, the the mayo and the coffee deal do you still have that on the morning show that big jar well i don't want to speak for mark but i believe he brought up this morning because you know next week is colt titans and uh, will levis is the starting quarterback and um i think should be for that game barring injury and i believe mark mentioned that he bought Another jar of mayo, you know, because we want to make sure we didn't get an expired jar like we had. Yeah, it, it was expired. It was like a month from expiring. Oh, it was horrific. My God. Everything about it was disgusting. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. Oh, the jar was, uh, you should have seen the jar was the size of Shaq. And <laughs> I believe there's a lime flavor. I, I hope I have that right. It's a little bit of a lime tint to it. So I believe, uh, let's just call it, I don't know, next Tuesday, next Wednesday. Uh, we'll we'll be having a nice fresh cup of Black Joe with um, a little bit of a lime tent of mayo, you know, and cue up the plop sound. Uh, that the, will be uh, in, in our in our morning coffee here uh, from seven to ten a.m. And if you would like, which it, clearly you, you're bringing it up, so clearly you uh, you seem like you have interest in it, we'll, we'll happily leave you a cup. Nope. Of nope, zero interest, none, nada. But I wanted remember, to know about the. Remember how it would curdle to the top and how chunky it got <laughs> Dude, so quickly? Remember? Are you kidding me? Like, uh, like I, I just like a week ago got rid of the taste. But the reason I wanted to know about the jar is because we're gonna wash out the jar and you got to put five dollars in it because when referencing the Raiders, you dropped in Oakland like two minutes ago. <laughs> so that goes in the jar. Fair enough. Gosh, I, I feel like I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, yeah. Easy to do, man. Easy. You know what? Hey, Kevin. 
Last night, I'm watching $100,000 Pyramid, right? <laughs> and I'm watching $100,000 Pyramid, and the the actress, or what, actually, I think it was the, the normal person, not the celebrity, and I use celebrity loosely. But the clue that they had to give, it was, it was baby animals. So it's like, you know, and one of them was Colt. And she says, uh, the Indianapolis professional football team. And the guy goes, Colts. Knew it right away. And I thought, we have finally arrived. It took 40 years. 40 <laughs> years, right? 40 <laughs> years, baby. And it's now pop culturally relevant. I love it. I feel like the state of Indiana has had some ugly misses on Jeopardy over the years in relation to sports questions. So that no is question. a big step in the, in the right direction. Well, okay. So I asked this the other day to Jimmy. If you stopped, Kevin, you're a Notre Dame football fan and basketball fan. If you stopped a hundred people on the Las Vegas Strip that are sports fans and ask them in what state is Notre Dame, what percent of people would say a state other than Indiana? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Probably a lot of people well, yeah. You gotta remember people are you're asking drunk people. That's all right. right. Well, yeah, or just people in Vegas in general. Uh, yeah, people who say Michigan. I mean, hell, someone would be like, well, you know, a bunch of Catholic kids from Chicago, you know, play football there. Um, yeah, it probably would not be above 50%. I don't know. Do they mention, like, South Bend, Indiana, and Rudy very often? I, maybe I'm giving it a I, Just when he's getting on the that bus. Movie. That's, like, the only the one. The thing is, I think the Notre Dame-Michigan rivalry, maybe not so much current day, but, like, for people, like, 40 and above – I could see them, like, their immediate knee-jerk answer being that it's in the state of Michigan. But I bet you it's 30 to 40% would say Michigan, and everybody else well, would know Indiana. How about this? More people know what state Clemson is in or what state Purdue is in? Boy. Ah, that's probably like a drop. Clemson had that feel, and again, maybe I'm speaking to my age, but, like, you know, they obviously have gotten on the national football map majorly to – you know, a Brendan King generation here in the last decade. But I, I, and maybe again, I'm speaking to a geographic bias as well with that comment, but I don't know. I feel like some here, people would not just be like, oh, I, I would. Here's the thing that would tip the scales to maybe Clemson in that regard, Kevin, and this is me being very Freudian, but Clemson is the name of the town. So when they right. come to a game, they say, we're live in Clemson, South Carolina, whereas with Purdue, they just say, we're live in West Lafayette. And people are like, well, where, you know what I mean? So right, right now, that's a good point. It, but you're right. I mean, Clemson obviously ten years ago probably. Well, Butler's another one. I mean, Butler until the NCAA tournament, nobody knew where Butler was till Brad Stevens, right? Um, oh yeah. I mean, it, it's so funny when you honestly. I said this to people in Knoxville over the weekend. They're like, "Oh, where do you live in Indianapolis?" I'm like, "Oh, I live like right near Butler's campus." Uh, you know, did you realize Butler's there? And they're like, "Wait, what? Butler's yeah, there?" You exactly. Know? I believe that. Um, Kevin, what's the, what's the Colts' schedule this week? I mean, it's a weird week because of the holiday. You're coming off the bye. You're getting ready for Tampa. What is their schedule in terms of activities and organization? Yeah, Shane has kept it pretty much status quo to a normal week. So, um, you know, today, you know, a review. I, I would assume it's a popular day for guys to get back in the building after the bye week and just kind of reset some things. Tomorrow, technically, will be their official off day. Wednesday, they will practice. Thursday, they'll actually bump it up to the morning. Um, so they will kind of get a little Thanksgiving schedule from a morning standpoint, uh, give the guys the afternoon off. Uh, Friday, have their normal Friday practice, and then I, I feel like it's become like an annual thing that they play at home on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it is pretty much normal. And then from here on out, outside of that game against Pittsburgh, which that still needs to be finalized, whether it's on Saturday or Sunday, 
in mid-December. Uh, it'll be a bunch of 1 o'clock games unless uh, some flex scheduling comes into play. Kevin, in terms of the AFC wild card situation, which is, let's be real, that's essentially what the Colts are tr- hoping to hang around in the party for. Um, did we write off Denver too early? Have the Broncos kind of figured some things out? Yeah, we probably did. But honestly, I, I, I think what we write off too early is we still are, I think, just accustomed to just six teams make the playoffs. I mean, now it's seven. And I know it's just one number, but that's a big deal. I mean, when you think about um, you know 16 teams in each conference, so that's nearly half of the teams make the conference. And, you know, look at the AFC North right now. You know, they have three teams very much with, you know, they are the best division top to bottom. But there's just the natural, like, you beat each other up. You play, you know, the rest of those teams six different times. Naturally, you're obviously playing some, you know, a couple of good teams from another division. And so the ability to kind of get on a roll and not, you know, have to play teams strictly from other divisions, it just doesn't happen with how the schedule is. So, I don't know how much of it is actually like Denver is a quality football team, this and that. I mean, certainly they are doing some things to win, and Russell Wilson looks better than he did last season. But um, I think it has more to do, honestly, that there's just the additional seventh playoff team, and that is a big, big deal with it. Uh, And last year, I mean, and that'll happen again this year. I mean, you know, you look at the NFC right now, and if Minnesota starts to slip up, I mean, look at some of these teams right now that you would be riding off in the NFC – that would make the playoffs or be in the running to make the playoffs there. Uh, and Joel Erickson, we had Joel on earlier today. He brought up a good point. Like, look at Denver's schedule. That That is a he, – he was acting like it's a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way, whereas you look like a Buffalo team, Buffalo's got a little bit of a harder schedule the rest of the way. Hey, Jake, by the way, they're moving the crane outside. I think they heard you. Really? So, yeah. Kevin, did you Crane's think about moving. this? I, I'm very concerned about this, Kevin, and you know because, you know, you see the same view as I – in the morning time looking out on monument circle we are like 96 hours from the circle of lights and the entire north side of the monument is nothing but cranes loose slabs and automobiles and portalettes right like what are they going to do here well yeah that's a great question i can't say i've run down there and a spark moving to the other side of the circle um yeah i'm not sure what what have they asked you for some temp work yet you're going to bring your hammer down here and make some stairs Uh, I, i mean I'm afraid the lights would all come down if that if that were to happen, Brenda. They're going to have to honestly, like, what what are they going to do when people are like trying to gather around to see the turning on of the world's largest Christmas tree, and, and it's there's like loose slabs of concrete everywhere. The stairs don't even exist. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my faith in downtown infrastructure here and think they're gonna they're gonna figure it out over the next. 48, 72 hours. I did notice the crane was moving. I mean, I swear. I mean, what's the earliest daylight I see in the morning? What I call it 8 a.m. Um, I swear the crane is moving about 8 a.m. So the sense of urgency is there. Listen, when the, when the crowd arrives, the, when the crowd arrives, the first three people are there are going to be Ken Nunn and Keller and Keller. That's all I know. <laughs> Kevin, I, you. I want to get your thoughts on this, too. So let me take you back last year. I was just hanging out at the state finals at Lucas Oil before Indiana Sports Talk. I was watching the 5A game, I think. And here comes Stefan Gilmore just rolling up next to me on the sideline. I was like, hey, that's cool. So I introduced myself. He's with his son. And then about 20 minutes later, he's still standing there. I'm just thinking in my head, yeah, how is this guy still on the team? Because it was at the point where Jeff Saturday was the coach. He's like, I can't believe they didn't trade this guy. Uh, are we going to get to a position where we're in December and there's you see somebody on the field or practice or whatever, you're like, I can't believe this guy's still on the team. 
in that like they should have been traded. Yeah, like that aspect. Of, yeah, I, I don't. Boy, you, I would. I feel like it would have to turn really, really ugly, really, really quick. Um, you know what? Reich was fired uh, like what two weeks ago, um, pretty much. If you look at the calendar from last year, it goes like November November seventh, something like that. So. I mean, at that point, you know, Stephon Gilmore was clearly your best player. He had already won the Denver game. You know, he had the big tip. I think it was the Kansas City game that forced uh, the interception there to kind of ice that one. I, I just I don't feel like the season is, A, that off the rails. B, I feel like with Gilmore, he, he was the win-now move, and then mm. the season went from win-now to, like, you know, obviously, you know, disastrous, embarrassing season very, very quickly. I don't think there's anybody on this team that would qualify as that. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, and again, being a five and five, and we just rattled off what the playoff picture looks like. Uh, I don't think we're there either. Kevin Bowen uh, tomorrow, Rick Carlisle, right? Rick Carlisle, eight a.m. We also have um, Andrea Kramer joining us. If I give a small plug for that, she interviewed Jim Irsay a few weeks ago for HBO Real Sports. So looking forward to uh, talking with her about certainly a very interesting individual when it comes to our city and the world of sports. He just bought a new guitar, right? I mean, I know that that's like, you know, kind of <laughs> weekly, but he just bought a big one. No, honestly, didn't he just buy a big one? Who was it? I can't remember whose it was, though. Is this where you insert the sun rises from the east? Joke, or, <laughs> I yeah. know. No, I, like I said, like I said, this isn't, you know, we could probably rehash that same question weekly, but he, he sent out a, a, a thing about the fact that he just bought I'll have to look it up. Another legendary cigar for or cigar guitar for the collection. <laughs> Probably a cigar too, but um, but definitely a fascinating individual, no doubt about that. And then Rick Carlisle, probably just no questions about last night, right? That that is the game that Ooh. shall not be discussed. Is that right? Yeah, that that was embarrassing to say the least. So curious how they respond tomorrow in uh, in Atlanta. All right, Kevin, we uh, appreciate it. We'll be listening tomorrow morning. All right, boys. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, All right, Kevin Bowen again. Uh, and Kevin will be wearing the turkey hat, I presume, on Wednesday. It was one of my favorite parts of doing it. Uh, Eric Clapton's The Fool Guitar, one of the most prominent of the psychedelic era, has joined the Ursa Collection. It'll be on display January 11th at the Shrine in Los Angeles, along with the entire collection. So there you go. Now, I will admit, that's probably one of those that I, I guess diehards would be into that. I don't know how much the average person's like, oh, man. I mean, Do you like Clapton? Never been my guy. Eddie, you like Clapton? Same with Brendan. Now, Layla is one of the great... The, the end of Layla, which I think it was Dwayne Allman, what came by when he was recording Layla and they were doing the coda for, for Layla and Allman just decided to go ahead and he grabbed a guitar and did kind of an underlay while they recorded the rest of the interlude at the end of Layla and it's it's like the greatest four minutes of classic rock. Mm. When you listen to it, you got to turn it up every time. So Clapton's cool. Clapton lives in like Columbus, Ohio. Did you know that? Really? Oh, he the did. city that never sleeps, huh? He, he did. That's right. Yeah. I mean, when you know, when you think of Columbus, it's like, oh yeah, former Buckeyes and world's greatest guitarist walking around on the streets. Who knew, right? Uh, we talked about the Pacer game last night. Ugly one against the Orlando Magic. Magic got out to a big start early. And typically when a team gets down 10, 15, you don't get overly stressed about it. You're kind of like, okay, I, you know, I get it. Um, water will find its level. Somebody will will cool off. I looked up at one point and Orlando was shooting 71% from the floor. And I thought, well, that's not going to last forever. You know, it never does, right? And then 
you know, all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, you know, they're down 30. And I don't think it was as much about Indiana offensively and their cohesiveness just completely lacking for the Pacers and coming off the four days off as much as it was more so the fact that they seemingly just did not def- – I mean, they lost all semblance of defensive rotation on the wings, and literally they were a turnstile, allowing Orlando the highest of percentage of shots. And Dustin Dopirak will join us. We'll discuss that and more next. So pa- Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Apparently Peter Frampton lives in Cincinnati. I think I knew that. Peter Frampton, uh, his sister, for a long time, was the significant other of Tom Griswold. I'm sorry, Peter Frampton's significant other was Tom Griswold's sister. Um, Relative of Clark? And, well, you know what? Tom Griswold would give out t-shirts every year that had that said griswold's christmas on it um (laughs) that's great and the i think i said when i was in long island i went to a whole foods which was the site of the long island arena which was where frampton comes alive um show me the way was recorded in 1975 at long island arena for frampton comes alive and my buddy Mike Byron and I had a bet on whether or not anybody would know that. We walked in, first woman I saw working at the Whole Foods. I go, hey, question for you. Do you know by any chance what happened here like roughly 50 years ago? And she goes, my husband still swears you can hear him whistling. I go, yeah, okay, so you knew. I, I saw the video on your Facebook. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, was I, I am a Frampton guy. I, yeah, I wasn't a Clapton guy, uh, but definitely a uh, Frampton guy. Frampton Comes Alive is pretty cool. Right? Oh, it's the, My dad... My dad had a Mercedes, drove a Mercedes when I was a kid. It was still a cassette tape a, a car. A Mercedes or a Mercedes? I say Mar, but okay. anyway, it was still a cassette tape, and he would just pop in, Frampton Comes Alive, right. say, oh, the best. And if you're ever a music DJ and you've got to use the restroom, all you got to do is play uh, Do You Feel Like I Do, and you can actually go to Taco Bell, come back, use the restroom, and still <laughs> Dustin Doprak, I'm sure thrilled with that transition, joins us now on the hotline to talk about last night's game, uh, where it looked like the Pacers were in a drive through the entire time. <laughs> Dustin, to begin, I, I thought their their wing defense was what did them in. I, they just Orlando shot the ball with an extremely high efficiency, but seemingly that is entirely because they were a turnstile on the wings. I've never seen it like that. I mean, I know that they've struggled defensively, but but were they just asleep last night from the layoff? Uh, it, it seems that way. Yeah, I want to say something about Peter Frampton. I also think one of my favorite. Have you have you guys seen the movie High Fidelity? Yes. 
You know, you know when like John Cusack walks in the club, walks back out, asks the bouncer, "Is that Peter Effing Frampton?" and then walks back in and says, <laughs> "I always hated this song, but now I kind of like it." That's I, I love that. Also, High Fidelity is just great, but I just needed to say that. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, they were asleep. Uh, they they were just sleeping the wheel. We just got back, uh, got out of practice, and Rick was just like, "You they just they just didn't show up. It just did not show up at all in the first half." Um, and yeah, it wasn't good wing defense. It wasn't good pick and roll defense. They didn't stop the dribble. They didn't stop pick and roll. They didn't stop anything. Uh, I mean, I think it was. Uh, you know, 48 first half points in the paint, and that just means you're getting blown by. You're just not stopping anybody. You're not bringing any kind of, uh, you know, basically presence uh, to what you're doing on defense. And so, I mean, it could have been a lot worse if the Magic didn't pull their starters and, and, and pull everybody. And, and the Pacers might have the best third unit in the league, which I guess is something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that this was – I think it, it was just the space off. It was interesting that, that Rick Carlo actually said after Tuesday's game, like, you know, we got to be worried about whether this – you know, uh, we've got to make sure we we don't think this is a good time to exhale, and, and they very much did. And there was a lot going on in the four days. They took a lot of that opportunity to do as many kind of um – humanitarian good works leading up to Thanksgiving uh, as they could, which is certainly admirable and everything like that, but it just did not seem like they were uh, just lit up for a basketball game, and that Magic team is a lot better uh, than they were a year ago. I mean, you, you can see some real growth in them, and, and certainly I, mean, I think they're on a similar track to what the Pacers are on, uh, except with, with a different uh, approach. I mean, they're just a, the, Pacers, the Magic are a really tough, physical uh, defensive team, and the Pacers just run up and down the floor offensively and score a whole bunch of points, and just basically on this night uh, the Magic really showed up, and the Pacers really didn't uh, and so that game was you know over very quickly after it started one game does not a season make i realize so you know i'm getting a very limited scope of viewing the orlando magic and we're here to talk about the pacers i get that mm-hmm. but one thing that really impressed me about orlando and i'm curious if you noticed the same dustin different periods of that game i saw two guys you know Mo Wagner, Wagner, whichever way you want to say it, the kid from Michigan, and as well Paolo Banquero, I, I thought both of them were just outstanding on-floor leaders. They were vocal. They got their teammates involved. They were supportive during timeouts. I'm not saying the Pacers don't have that, but it's such a critical piece of trying to gel together a young team. Um, and I think Halliburton has that in him, but who else for the Pacers becomes that guy? I mean, I think there are several guys that have that capacity, kind of. I mean, I mean, Halliburton, I think he certainly does have that in him, and I think, for one thing, it's a different mood. I mean, it's less of a, you know, grab somebody by the throat and make them do what they want to do, but, like, it is a, when the Pacers are rolling, it is a joyous experience. You know, uh, when they're scoring the basketball, when they're getting up and down, uh, everybody's smiling, laughing, having a good time, and, and it, it makes for this overall, uh, you know, cohesive unit. But it's just like when that goes away, it's harder to, to rediscover what's there because they're just not that good defensively. Um, it's, it's harder to kind of like lift it up when the ball's not going in the hole or, or when they're not getting uh, the runouts and whatnot. But I mean, I think there's there certainly are personalities of guys who can step up and talk. I mean, uh, Tyrese can certainly do that. Miles can certainly do that. TJ McConnell can certainly do that. It's certainly a young group, uh, you know, Bruce Brown obviously is a guy that's like figuring out where uh, his voice fits as a guy that's, you know, coming off of winning a championship in Denver. Um, you know, Aaron B. Smith, I think, is, is he's not a guy that talks very much, but he's, I think, arguably one of the most uh, sort of ferocious competitors uh, in the group. Benedict Matherin as well, even though he really doesn't talk almost at all. Um, but, you know, there, there are 
some personalities who can do that, but it does certainly on like last night, it seemed like it was much more coordinated from Orlando's standpoint. And then again, some of it just has to do with style. Um, Sometimes you just look grittier and tougher when you're a better defensive team. And when you're the team that scores, you know, that that wins by scoring, it seems a little bit less gritty that way. Um, But I do think there are, there are guys who have voices on that team that can kind of keep everybody together, but it tends to fall apart when the offense isn't working. Hey, Dustin, it's Brendan. I want to talk about Buddy Heald. One of seven on threes in his last two. He did hit four at Philly on the 12th, but before that, when it combined four of 23 in the previous two to that. So is this simply a slump, or is there something more because he doesn't have a 20-point game this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's mostly a slump. I mean, obviously, he's not getting the same kind of minutes he did last year because now he is coming off the bench and the rotations are different. Um, and I mean, I think he's getting a little bit more than uh, other guys are getting. I think they're trying to make a, make a point to make sure he does get some time, uh, you know, with Tyrese Halliburton because that has been a really good fit. It, it you know creates gravity for Halliburton to work. Um, so he has had some games where he's really been on and had some games where he has not been. Um, and so I guess that's probably to be expected uh, considering the role. There was going to be an adjustment. There was going to be, um, you know, some newness of, you know, he's used to getting on the floor. He's, you know, first he's got his sort of routine in terms of getting the ball in his hand. Like he'll literally take it away from the ref and make a point to play with it before he gets, you know, puts it back in play before the before play starts. Um, you know, I'm sure it's been messing with his routine. It's a, it's a little bit different. Um, he has at least embraced the idea of being a bench guy. He hasn't done anything to blow the thing up. Um, but he, he has some stretches where he hasn't been, um, you know, knocking him down. And I think it, it does take a minute to get yourself in the flow of the game when you're coming off the bench, when you're used to being a starter uh, and being there for pull, some play one. And so he's generally, when he's hit his first one, he's hit a couple after that. And other times when it's taken a whole while to get one, uh, he's had some slumps. So I, mean, I think, I mean, I think with, with Buddy, it just is as simple as the ball going in the hole and not. I mean, I don't think the shot looks any different, um, but I think there is some issue in terms of just getting a rhythm when you're getting used to being a bench guy. Speaking of that, exactly that. So early that Dustin, I, I I'm almost embarrassed to bring up this subject because it sounds so naive because it's so early in his career. You know, I look back on Jeff Foster. Jeff Foster, you know, basically was a redshirt player when he was drafted by the Pacers. You know, same with Austin Crozier, right? Those guys didn't even play. But it's a different era to an extent, and I know he's very young. But Jarris Walker, when he's been in there, to me, looks like the game is moving way too fast for him, and he is thinking way too much, and and it's in his head a little bit. Am I being too Mm -hmm. critical? Uh, No, no, you're not. I mean, we just um, we like because he got on the floor. You know, we we had some time to we asked about him last night, and uh, you know, asked Rick about him last night. Talked to him a little bit today, Um, and and I think that's right. I mean, like again, he is 19, and it's one of those things you just kind of got to be reminded of. And the thing is too that what like the long-term prognosis for the player that he's going to be like it he's not like Matherin was and that Matherin was sort of like okay just go do this thing and you're really really good at it and so we'll figure the rest out later you know like he had kind of this like immediate skill that could get him on the floor and just because he could just drive the ball at you uh and finish at the rim or draw fouls and he was going to put points on the board that way and he's productive enough doing that that all the other areas where you know he's not quite there yet or not quite figuring it out you can live with um because especially as an off-the-bench guy, as a guy who could just get cooking and score points and become the focal point of your second-unit offense, you know, like, that works just fine, even though he didn't know what he was doing on the defensive end. You know, Walker is a player, if he becomes, if he fulfills the vision, 
of what he's supposed to be. Uh, he's going to be this very well-rounded player. He's going to be a guy who, uh, even as a 6'7", 240-pound guy, can create off the dribble, pass really well, um, that is going to be able to defend multiple positions, run around, be really good in rotation and all that kind of stuff. There's going to be a lot for him to take in and, and for him to become the whole of what he's supposed to be. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts there. There's a lot of learning that's going to go into becoming that player. So, I mean, I guess there's a different curve uh, for him than there would be a, a guy like Mathis but I mean, I, I do think, yeah, I see a lot of the same things that you see. There's, there is something about this thing that seems too fast. But I mean, he is, he's a really, like, he's a really intellectual kid. When you really talk to him, he's a really smart guy, and we've got to talk through some things with him about what he's been working on and working through, and just sort of getting used to the different actions that you're seeing from NBA teams, the caliber of player that you're dealing with, and he's got to, you know, guard you know, the best offense in the NBA in practice. Um, so he, he is looking a little bit lost. Uh, and so there, there is kind of an issue there, but I don't, when I talk to him, I don't see a guy that's going to be hopelessly lost for eternity because he just doesn't have the capacity to figure out this is a super smart kid, you know, and this is a guy who's just, I mean, he, he's moving really quickly and you kind of forget how fast it goes for somebody, um, you know, who's it just plays one year in college and all of a sudden he's in the NBA. Um, so I mean, it's, there is an adjustment. I mean, there are certainly other guys in the league whom he's behind, but I think the biggest piece is that like, if he can become the player that he's capable of being, there's a lot of parts in there. Um, um, and it takes a lot. It, it takes some time to get all of that out rather than having one guy who's just really, really good at something that immediately translates. I know it was garbage minutes. And Dustin Dopierak, mm-hmm. by the way, is our guest talking about the Pacers. He covers them, of course, for the Indianapolis Star. I, I know it was garbage minutes, and it was just a matter of probably making the score look respectable. But Jordan Wara was very offensively efficient. It didn't take him a lot of mm-hmm. shots to rack up. I think he had 19 last night. Does he work his way into the rotation, or is he too much of a one-trick pony? That's a tough question. I mean, he hasn't yet, and so, like, that's why he – basically, they trust him to score, and the the other guys at his spots, they don't – I guess they trust more to do other things. I mean, I, I mean, I guess the guy who's really taking his minutes right now uh, is Aaron Neesmith, who they love, who they think does everything right, and um, it, and and that's there's there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, Aaron, Aaron Neesmith works his butt off. He's one of the best defenders on the team. He's a super physical guy, and he is somebody that just absolutely signs up for every single dirty work job uh, that you'll give him. And that's the kind of player he's always been, and that's why they extended him. And there's they they really 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 like that guy. Um, and you know, it's sort of like okay, do you throw him in there? Um, you know, so you're, you're maybe have a lineup with, with Heald, Neesmith, and Nora uh, all together. I mean, I think you could. Um, and I think that's a, a potentially functionally lineup if, if you, you know, just use one of the point guards, whether it's Nemhard and McConnell with the rest of that group and, and, and Jalen Smith at the five. I think that's a functional unit. I mean, I don't know, you know, from the beginning, Carlisle said, you know, you, you don't have to have a 10-man rotation. Uh, and so it's been mostly nine. And if it, basically, if he feels the need to play McConnell some nights, he does. Uh, and if not, he doesn't. And it's just Nemhard, Neesmith, Heald, and Smith that are coming off the bench. Um, so I think it's possible. Like I, I don't want to rule out the, the possibility because I mean, Carlisle will tell you he's really impressed with uh, Nora as a scorer. I mean, he just really believes in, her, in his ability to put the ball in the bucket. He's not necessarily a great defender. He's not doing a whole lot on the rebounding end. He can create a little bit for others, um, and you know, be a guy that can even you know, even as a guy who's probably a power forward position wise, he can handle the ball in a pick and roll scenario. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I, and he had a really good summer uh, by all accounts. And basically, he's done everything they've asked him to do. They just 
they kind of feel like they have too many guys uh, to get him in there. But, I mean, Carlisle will tell you he really likes him as a player and, and, and truly believes him as a scorer. And that's the thing. As a scorer, he's the real thing. I mean, he averaged 13 a game uh, after they picked him up last year, and that was the, the first time he ever he really had consistent, uh, you know, big minutes. And basically any time in Milwaukee where, you know, like they were resting guys, I mean, he put up crazy numbers, I mean, especially toward the end of seasons when they'd already clinched playoff spots. I mean, he's averaging like 25, 30 a game uh, in the last three or four, basically, when everybody else is on the bench. I mean, the guy can really put the ball in the bucket, and that's legitimate. It's just whether they feel like he does enough other things to get get on the floor and, and take somebody else they really trust off of it. Dustin, an in-season tournament game coming up tomorrow night in Atlanta at 7.30. Now, for me, I'm still trying to process what exactly is going on in the in-season <laughs> tournament. So still in group play, so can you discuss kind of the importance of this one and where we are at this stage of group play? Yeah, this this is a huge one. Uh, all of a sudden, I mean, the, the the Pacers went over Philly on Tuesday was really huge. I mean, it, that they beat the two uh, best teams in their group uh, in Cleveland and Philadelphia as far as how they finished last season. So, I mean, if they beat the Hawks uh, on um, on Tuesday, they win the group. They would clinch it because the last team they start to play is Detroit, who's I think lost already lost two or three games, and so they're they're out of contention. So they would have the uh, uh, you know the head to head advantage on everybody. They would be. They, they could be held up against even if they lost to Detroit. Um, even if they were three and one with somebody else, they would have you know the head-to-head win there. So if they beat Atlanta, they pretty much have it, and they still have a chance to win it. Even if they don't beat Atlanta, if, if the Hawks lose to somebody else, because the Hawks have only played I think um, two games so far. Uh, I think they're they're one and one, but they're still they're still kind of in it. They can they can sort of muck it up and create a scenario where there might be three you know three and one teams even up having all beat each other. Um, but they have uh, yeah it's it's. It's an, it's an important game, and I, I think the Pacers are really taking it seriously. They certainly see that, you know, a, a lot of these guys have never been in a playoff game. A lot of these guys have never been in postseason. You know, this is their first opportunity where to win some kind of NBA trophy. Uh, so they're taking it seriously, and I think it would be relevant to them to say, hey, you know, we we won the group. Uh, you know, like even even if that's as far as they go, even if they go to the quarters and get beat in the knockout round, I think they'd be happy to say, hey, you know, we won something here, and you know, we've shown. Uh, we can, you know, basically we we can compete at that level. I mean, I think the Pacers are do things that they're showing that kind of progress towards being, uh, you know, a playoff caliber team, a top eight, uh, you know, team in the league. And this would be a kind of step in that direction if they could say they were the ones that that won their group in the in season tournament and and you know got got this season started that way. Pacers in Atlanta tomorrow night. Then back at it, taking on the Raptors Wednesday at the Fieldhouse. Dustin, appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Dustin Dope, you the Indianapolis Star. When we come back, a mea culpa from me. I will admit, and, and again, I had mentioned that there was the possibility of this. It happened in October of 1978, and it has happened again in November of 2023, twice in 45 years. And I'll tell you what it is next. Rolling along. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
On a Monday, Jake Query along with Brennan King, Jimmy Cook on jury duty, back with us theoretically. I don't know if they'll sequester during – I don't know how that works during the holidays, whether they – how they determine that. Well, since you were so quick to hire somebody when I was out the first time on an actual vacation uh, in, in Nathaniel Finch, are we able to hire Brendan King for a position within the company? Yeah, we don't know because we don't know – you know, Jimmy could be sequestered. This could be – I mean, I, I have well, no idea. Well, no, I was going to say I, I don't expect anything, but, you know, I would I would love to be a part of it. So maybe by the end of the week, if you feel like I have stepped up my game enough, I'd be blessed if you could find a so position So you think for that me. much more highly of Jimmy Cook than you do, Mikey? We, we've I, got to, see we've how got how to check is. the intern rules. What's that? Oh, I would Are only we, be an intern? I see, I see how this works. That's tough. you got to earn the stripes at the company. I mean, right? I have experience working in this time slot. I feel like I could be a full-timer. Well, it took Nathaniel Finch all of like two hours, and then you guys hired him to replace me like that. Ooh, wait, what's your position? I am the CEO. Yeah, Eddie's the CEO of the company. Oh, okay. What are, wait, so and you're the owner? No, no, I, we, I don't really have a title. Chairman of the board. That works. Okay, you know when I was and at, Jimmy's the president. When I was yeah. at North Central, our intramural basketball team was called the Chairman of the Boards. <laughs> it's pretty solid, right? That's pretty good. It, it, they they had to my senior year at North Central during intramural basketball season. They uh, they had to come up with some new rule enforcement on the names of the teams because um, there were some very it, they would read the morning announcements like yesterday in intramural basketball in league a it was and then they're reading the names and it's like whoa and then they kind of caught on and uh to some of the tawdry names and and you know you moved on okay so for the second time in 45 years something has happened i had mentioned that there was the possibility of this happening and i will now admit that it did i was wrong there is another Jake Query out there? There is, actually. He lives in Noblesville, by the way. Oh. Um, so I was wrong about this. I didn't say it per se, but I kind of insinuated it. I thought there was the possibility that the Formula One experiment in Las Vegas was going to be a huge flop. Mm. All signs seemed to indicate that. Prices dropped drastically. Ticket interest seemed to wane. And I thought, this feels like it's going to be a one-and-done type thing. I've seen it a lot with IndyCar where we've gone to places and just logistically it can't work out. And I was very skeptical. I'm like, they're doing it at midnight. Nobody's going to want to be out there at 3 o'clock in the morning during a race. They're catering it totally to the European audience. And out of curiosity, an open disclaimer, I'm not a huge – I don't have a problem with Formula 1. I don't dislike it. But I'm not a Formula One enthusiast per se. I understand and respect its rising relevance within because of the Netflix show, although I think that auxiliary audience is kind of waning a little bit. Um, but I watched it and turned it on, and I was blown away. The visuals and optics of it were incredible. The lighting of the track all the way through, it looked like literally a permanent racetrack and obviously they've got to get it to you know the an f1 specification grade of the track surface so like literally people are going to be driving to work in las vegas and driving on a road that has like unbelievable grip and as smooth as can be with the exception of the one area where they had the pothole which obviously was kind of a one-off issue but it had a it feel to it and people were like, so you're saying that it's all about optics to an extent? Yeah, I am, because it looked like the place to be. It created fear of missing out. You, you know, when they're when they're talking about in the pre-race, 
those that are there, Brad Pitt, LeBron James, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Rihanna, uh, you know, Reese Witherspoon. Uh, at one point during the grid walk, they walked right past Ocho Cinco because like he didn't even necessarily qual- Shaq. I mean, it was just, it was the A-listers of the A-listers. And it looked like, in fact, if you were anybody, that's where you wanted to be. And I thought the race was actually, I watched the whole race. The other thing that I give F1 credit, um, and this is the the era that we are moving into with just the sports landscape, general audience attention span. The race was 50 laps. It was under two hours or around at the most two hours. Um, There were a few cautions, but I thought the the beginning, I thought the open was exciting. I saw some of the passing that I thought was exciting. Does it have the, the consistent passing back and forth of other racing series? No. But overall, the to go in to a place like Las Vegas and literally shut down the Las Vegas Strip and have a racing circuit that is perfectly lit, that is absolutely gorgeous, and is racing between the Bellagio Fountains, the Sphere, the Paris Eiffel Tower, all of it, with all of the buzz, all of the hype, all of the energy, I thought it met up to all of, to, to all of that. And while I was skeptical that it would be a multi-year event because I know that there were questions from people in Las Vegas, it looked to me like an event that if you now, when the schedule comes out, people are going to go, man, I want to go there for that weekend. My sister has taken a recent investment in liking into Formula One to like a whole different level. Um, She's currently listening to the show and I have received one, two, three, four, (laughs) five text messages all pertaining to the race. Uh, She says, Jake, the track is on the calendar for the next 10 years. Using the strip for everyday use will actually help the track. And this one's in all caps. Martin's Gridwalk. The passing was low because of the cold and where the safety car happened. And there were more passing in the back of the grid. Or there was more passing in the back of the grid. No, like I said, I mean, like there, I thought the passing was good. Um, The... In terms of the 10-year, I get that. It was a 10-year investment with a three-year guarantee. So they did not say when they did it. And believe me, I'm, I, I've been around racing, and I don't mean this condescendingly to your sister. I've been around racing enough to know sometimes that contracts don't always mean uh, certainty. Oh, yeah. But I didn't. I was curious whether it would go beyond one year, and I, they are committed to making it happen. And so far, absolutely through the first venture of it, it absolutely looked like a home run. I did have raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Somebody that wrote in, it's a really good point. They're like, Jake, I'd be curious to hear from people who went to the race. You know, it's interesting. This is what I've always said about street racing. And in in an open-wheel racing like an IndyCar, so many people say to me, they're like, hey, IndyCar needs to go back to Kentucky or Chicago or race more ovals. And I don't disagree with that. The, the The real crutch, the real challenge in motorsports is this. And that is that on television, 
oval racing looks better. The the drama of oval racing, oval racing and being side by side is more aesthetic to television. But when you do a street course like Long Beach, for example, with IndyCar, when we go to IndyCar for the Long Beach race, there are I mean I it's a you know it's hard to to, to gauge the number because you're talking about like a two and a half mile area, but I'm just going to throw a number out: 125,000 people. There are 125,000 people there from the Southern California area, families and party atmosphere and everything else. That and and 80 percent of those people and, and there's a whole list of things going on. So you've got the IndyCar race, then you have like the Drifter Series, and you have the the Pro Am race. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff on the schedule. I'm just going to throw a number out there, but you know, 80% of the people walking around eating a turkey leg and drinking a Tecate that are walking around probably don't even know three of the drivers in the race and half the time aren't even aware whether it's IndyCar or the, the Toyota Pro-Am or you know the, the Pirelli Challenge or whatever's even on the track. They just know that they live in Long Beach, that it's an annual event, it's race weekend, and it's a party atmosphere, and there are cars that are exciting – to, to the sound of them is cool and they go down and they but the bottom line is they bought a ticket you got their money they bought a ticket and i think for a lot of the people that for the formula one event in las vegas a reason why it is a home run for them to pull that off in las vegas yeah it might not be a lot of people that are buying a reserved seat ticket to sit in the stands and watch it but rather people that are like, I just want to be in Vegas because of the look, look, the glitz and the glamour and how fun it is. And it's this 24-hour city. And how fun is it that we can go and play the tables until 1130 at night, have four beers, and then walk around and just be in this epicenter of where like the who's who of pop culture are here celebrating and, and, and get a general admission ticket and just walk around in a small area, again, you've got the money, right? Totally with you. I mean, the first non-Indy 500 race I went to, Jake, for IndyCar was a couple of years ago when I I went to go visit my parents and I went to the St. Pete race. Yeah. It was kind of the same thing as Long Beach where not necessarily people were watching the race, but they were outside, they were enjoying totally. food and drinks. It was nice. But yeah, with the Vegas thing, to me, that has something to suit every person's interest. If you're a blackjack player, you go play the tables, like you said. You go to a Golden Knights game, walk out, you're suddenly on a racetrack. You could go shop at the Fremont Street places. You could get done shopping, you're at the racetrack. It brings in all these people that go to Vegas for totally different reasons. Right. And it all comes together and then I mean, for the same did thing. Did you see the aerials of it? I mean, I have to admit, oh, it was, it was sick. Like, it was unbelievable. It was sick. Like, the longest pre-race show ever, though. Well, that, yeah, I mean... That was the longest... I, that was I the got longest done with Indiana Sports too. Talk. Oh, I got done with Indiana Sports. I was like, you know what? I'll watch the start of the race here. And it ends up being 12.30. I was like, I'm going to go home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and there was a lot of buildup, for sure. Uh, 239-1070 is the telephone number. Greg joins us on the show. Greg, what's up? Hey, Jake. Enjoy your program. Um, I, I just got to uh, lay some shade on, on our boy, uh, the president, Jimmy Cook. I mean, Thanksgiving weekend, everybody knows you want to take the whole week off, you know, and, it, and he's jury duty. Really? You can get out of jury duty in a minute. Just say you got a program to do. You got his job. <laughs> like I said, I, typically, if you walk in and you're just like, look, all I know is this. All I know is if, the, if, if this person has gone this far within the judicial system, they're guilty. So I'm voting guilty no matter what. Usually that gets you out of it if you say that. But I don't, I don't know, man. All I know is I don't know if he's been picked, Greg. I don't know if he's been picked, right? 
know. I think it's a veteran move, and maybe, maybe uh, uh, you know, the company needs to put him on probation. I mean, the, CEO, <laughs> the owner of the company is there. Come on now. Now, Greg, let me ask. What do you do for a living? Uh, I'm retired, sir. I just oh. retired. Oh, outstanding. And, and do you have big plans for retirement? Uh, uh, well, just traveling and stuff. Hey, I do have good plans this weekend. We're going to uh, go to Detroit, yeah. their family, first uh, going to the Lions game. So See that, have you ever been to a Lions game on Thanksgiving? Never have, so very looking forward to that. Are you from the Detroit area, or is your wife from the Detroit area? My wife is. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm Indy. Yeah, but yeah, she's from Detroit. I'll That's tell you what. Going up there, I said, and the only reason I'm going up there, we can get a Lions ticket, and she came through, so we're going. Hey, so, and of all years for that to happen, man, the Lions, that was, I mean, the Lions yesterday, boy, they, they pulled that out in the end, right? Aiden Hutchinson made a huge play to seal it for them. Um, break up the Lions. Nobody's talking about them, but they're right there in the thick in the NFC, so it's a good story for certain. But, Greg, enjoy it, and uh, we'll see what happens with Jimmy, but enjoy it, and I appreciate the call. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye. That's retiree Jim. Have you ever had to do jury duty? I, dude, it's my life goal. I, I've gotten the card like four times, and then I call the number, and my group has never been selected to have to report. Have so, you? No, I've never had to do it, but I don't know if it's the same in Indiana because I haven't gotten one yet. But when I was an Illinois resident, they send you this piece of paper, and you fill out your availability, right? And it says, check the months where you cannot be available. And I didn't want to do it, so I just checked off every month and wrote sports in the reason why and nobody's ever called me so well, it's been good you, aren't you doing your civic duty well i have a good excuse plus you don't live in illinois anymore that right exactly helps. so they never called me but i have yet to get a thought on indiana i think it'd be fascinating to do but i've never actually had my number called kevin joins us kevin what's up hey how are you doing i'm all right you I'm doing good. I just wanted to give my thoughts. I went out, me and my son flew out to Las Vegas for the race on Thursday, and we stayed and come back today. Oh, okay. So perfect. Now, Kevin, let me ask you. I got a couple questions for you. Are you ready? All right. Uh, you have been to Vegas before, or that was your first time? I've been to Vegas probably two or three times a year every year. That's my vacation. Spot. Okay. And you stayed where? We stayed at the Flamingo Hotel. Great spot. That, and the Flamingo is, is that near Bally's? It's uh, facing Caesar's Palace. Okay, so you were along the strip, obviously. Um, w- was your room more expensive than it normally would be? Like, how much more was it than than usual? Usually, we get a comp room, and you might pay the resort, resort fee, which is thirty dollars a night. But that one, we paid two hundred and twenty-five dollars. And when we got there, we got an upgrade for sixty bucks, which put us on the eighteenth floor looking at the strip. Okay, so you could watch the race from your room, essentially, right? That's what we had to do Thursday night after they kicked us all out, yes. Okay, so did you have actual tickets to the race itself or to the events of the like inside the track? Yes, we did. Did And did you find those tickets and the accessibility to be what you expected, less than what you expected, or more than what you expected? Way more than expected. Really? Elaborate. Yeah, we ate... Uh, day we got there and you know they shut it down but we were there the whole time till two o'clock in the morning when it kicked us out but we had free food all day all day well gang puck had it catering things set up and you had everything from chicken and waffles to tacos to whatever you wanted all day long and it did cost you a dime and how much were your tickets to get into the event we paid a hundred and 125 a piece 
Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so overall, you would say worth it, right? Oh, way worth it. We went uh, Friday for qualifying, and so happened we went over to the thing. We didn't have a ticket, and there was an American Express booth on the backstretch. They, my boy has American Express. They let us in for free. We went in there and sat there and watched, you know, practice and qualifying from there for nothing. Kevin, I think you and I need to hang out and travel together because I, I, I like I kind of fall into stuff in the same way. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you're like I've always said if you, you just kind of walk around and act like you know where you're going before you know it, people are pretty nice to you. You know what I mean? Hey, that's what we do at the 500 every year. I've been going since probably 1967, and I love that event more than anything. But I tell you, that was the biggest sporting event compared to going to a Super Bowl or anything. Biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, Kevin, I appreciate it. Glad you're back safe. All right, have a good Thanksgiving. All right, thank you. We appreciate your show. Interesting stuff there. That'd be awesome, right? He had a plan, and he executed it. Right? I mean, I'm telling you, it's what you got to do, right? Plus the Flamingo, the Flamingo, super underrated spot. You know, we went, when I was in Vegas, I mean, I've been, I don't know, I've probably been to Vegas, not 10 times, but close, right? I've been twice. So, um, A buddy of mine got married in Las Vegas. Not be, well, and that, that sounds, planned? well, <laughs> was it planned? <laughs> if you can believe this, a guy that I grew up with, exactly, right? So you have yeah. to elaborate on this. Yeah. A guy that I grew up with, his wife is a native of Las Vegas. She grew up in Henderson, Nevada. Yeah. So, so his wedding was in Las Vegas for that reason. So we all go out there for it. And the they had they were like, yeah, we have a block of rooms at the Four Seasons in which is Mandalay Bay, I think, but they were still like way expensive. And I'll give Shannon all the credit in the world. I mean, she's been to Vegas. I've been to Vegas a million times. Stayed at you know Paris. I've stayed in. I've stayed at Rio. I've stayed at Bal. I've stayed a number of places. And she's like, look, let's just save our money. We're going to be spending all our time at Mandalay Bay anyway, so let's just stay at, at Tuscany. And I'm like, what's Tuscany? She's like, well, it's one block off the Strip, so it's like a third yes. of the price of everything else. Well, it's basically like a residence inn, so you have like a little condo. It was fabulous. Yeah. Now, I mean, you have to walk a block, you know, one block off of the Strip itself, but I mean, you're walking around the whole time anyway, right? You're never in your room, and it was way less expensive than than staying elsewhere. If you go there with a plan, it's the best if you go there and you don't know what you're doing though i think to what kevin was talking about you're you're definitely going to struggle but yeah i I mean i love vegas i mean the first time i went was for the mlb winter meetings in 2019 i stayed with my buddy's family because actually they had a timeshare at the westgate i paid 40 dollars for the whole week all the food was free because they were westgate members and we went to a golden knights game for free because we know the announcer it was the best that's the way the to do it. Yeah. I mean, and again, I always get a kick out of it, though, like when people are like, you know, so where'd you stay? And they're like, well, you know, they actually flew me out and they put me up in a room, whatever. It's like, oh, okay, so you should call 1-800-9 with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're, kind of, you're kind of tipping the cap yeah. there, right? Yeah. Uh, Indiana last night, did you watch the Hoosiers and Connecticut yesterday? Bro? Caught the back end of it when they were already down big. But yeah, and that's, look. Caught the highlights. I thought Indiana, who's going to be taking on here, and we're going to go out to New York and talk to a buddy of mine that's out there in just about 15 minutes or so. I I thought Indiana yesterday, um, they just – look, I'm going to – let me sit down for my soapbox. Your backpack's in your seat. There you go. So this is not the fault of Indiana, and it's not meant to come down on Indiana. Okay. Indiana Indiana and Purdue are interesting to me because of the different ways in which they've built rosters.
But the way that Indiana has done it, and I get it. But I remember when Indiana, when Mike Woodson was hired, a a friend of mine that actually is very close to the basketball program in Indiana was like, look, Indiana fans that like are wanting this to be like Bob Knight's Indiana are going to have to find a new religion here because we're going about this a different way, which is the, the 2023 way, which is to go out and recruit from all over. And, and bring in guys, and of course you have NIL now, and you have all kinds of different things that bring guys to Indiana. And, and what I'm about to say is going to sound like an old man yelling at clouds, get off my lawn guy. And it's not because I'm not bemoaning it. I totally get it, and I don't have a problem with it, but I think that there is a reality that comes with this. And that is the following. In the good old days... Back in my day, but for a long time there, any university, whether it be Indiana, Kentucky, Louisville, Purdue, North Carolina, whatever, the rosters were compiled of really two kinds of player. The the big-time national recruit that came to your school because it was a high-profile program that they knew would get them on national television, or somebody that was a dominant player from within the region where your school is based. And for a long time, Indiana and Purdue both, their rosters were made up of the best players from the state of Indiana and accentuated by players from Chicago, Cincinnati, you know, occasionally players from elsewhere, maybe a junior college rank. But for the most part, it was pretty regionalized. And you had to hope that your program was a big enough name and a big enough draw that players would want to come there for the exposure that they got by playing at your university. And then, of course, we got into the evolution of the one-and-done era, and nobody did that better than Kentucky. And Kentucky, Kentucky had a dwindling of the high school product in the state of Kentucky that forced the University of Kentucky at a more advanced time period to start recruiting above and beyond just the Kentucky vicinity. And especially with Rick Pitino, when Rick Pitino came to Kentucky, he was bringing in Roderick Rhodes and Jamal Mashburn and players from the New York City area and along the eastern seaboard to Kentucky. And Kentucky became this national brand. And so therefore, you you kind of didn't know from Calipari or, or from Pitino into the Calipari era you know, Tubby Smith to an extent too, but if you were to ask a Kentucky fan, they would tell you each and every year they would have these rosters that were loaded with five-star, one-and-done aspiring players, and sometimes that worked and they meshed and it was fabulous, and you have the Anthony Davis group that's unbelievable. That went to the Final Four here. And then, correct, and then you have other groups that – well, the group with Anthony Davis well, is the yeah, one that not, won it, not right? The AD, yeah. But the group that had Trey Lyles and Carl Anthony Towns, that's the group that came here and lost to Wisconsin. The Harrison Twins. So you needed, like if you look at the group that Anthony Davis had with Lamb and Davis and that group, they did have a few contributing four-year players on the roster that kind of solidified things. But Kentucky fans would be the first to tell you that you never know from one year. Some years that group, those groups gel together and they're fabulous. Other years it takes a long time. Other years it just doesn't work. And then other years it takes a while. And by March it's like, whoa, here comes Kentucky. Well, Indiana's roster right now, they have players like McKenzie Mbako and Khalil Ware 
and Malik Renew that are not necessarily that came to Indiana not necessarily because it was a national program that was going to help catapult them because it's a different era now they came to indiana because that's where they had the best opportunity for nil money exposure and a coach that could help get them to the league so while there's nothing wrong with this i think you could make the the compelling case that those players are there not because necessarily they are totally invested and pushed in on helping indiana basketball as much as how indiana basketball can help them and so mckenzie and Baco, for example looks like a guy that and this is why I always am hesitant about recruiting. When Hunter Perea signed with Indiana, all I heard was he was the next George McGinnis. Hmm. Okay? That guy couldn't play volleyball. He was playing volleyball, actually, instead of rebounding. And you just don't know. And Baco may be a fabulous talent. And it's unfair to, to, to let four games of a freshman year define a guy by all, by all stretch. But he doesn't look like he has any hoot to be there. Like he has no intensity, no desire. At least on the, if he has it, he ain't showing it, right? So far, the most intensity McKenzie and Baco was known for in Bloomington was his refusal to leave Taco Bell. Quite frankly, and part of that's youth and naivete. I get it, but I do think that you have the the challenge of when you get guys there of knowing what their buy-in is. And Indiana, so far, it appears has a struggle with that. Now Malik Renew. I'll give him credit. I thought he played really well. He, he didn't back down, right? Yeah. Khalil Ware looked like a guy that was like, okay, well, now I'm going up against another seven-footer. Like, you know, I'll, I'll go two for ten and, and just be going about more. The, the energy level seems to lack. Purdue, on the other hand, I'll give Purdue credit because Purdue, I, I think that Matt Painter has built that team in such a way that they have guys that, that seemingly are still bought in. Now, they've had guys in the past maybe that were not, and and. It, Purdue was aware of it. I, I think you could. Jaden Ivey was a fabulous player for Purdue, but was Jaden Ivey totally dialed in? I think there are some that would tell you that he wasn't. You know, and then other guys. I mean, Trey Kaufman Wren is a really good player, and I'll give him credit because he seemingly is totally bought in on Purdue because he could have gone elsewhere and and gotten minutes, but he, he's he's there and he's part of what they're building there or what they've built actually in terms of stability. Matt joins us on the show. Matt, how are you? Hey, good. Love the conversation today between the Long Beach and the F1 and the uh, the recruiting talk. Now, is that serious or sarcastic, Matt? I'm always a little bit self-conscious. I'm your Clark Griswold. I'm here over the Coke lot working on my uh, Christmas lights. Heck yeah, that's what I love, man. Now, you're not up still on the roof, are you? My God, Matt, oh, how I many was, lights are you stringing? You've been doing it for the four days. You were up there. I I get carried away. My neighbors tell you. Uh, what do you pay an electric bill in the month of November, December? See, I'm smart. I'm on the budget plan, so I pay the three same like three hundred bucks every month year round, whatever it is. Okay, fair it, enough. It's just factored in. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, what's on your mind, Matt? The recruiting thing. I I'm, I'm a boilermaker. Um, I, I argue with IU fans. All they want to talk about is banners, which. You know, 87 is the last banner. It, it, it's it's no longer relevant to the conversation. Um, but it's Purdue, Purdue recruits guys whose intent is to win for Purdue. And if they go to the NBA, they sit on the bench for a couple years, they play in Europe, and I'm perfectly cool with that. I'd rather win for Purdue and it seems like IU right now, and I want IU to be better because it's more fun beating a good rival. And I, I know they swept us last year, so I'm going to get all kinds of crap for that. But they 
they seem like they're they're happier to have one and done or two and done guys who will ride the bench or play in the NBA for six years. You know, nobody cares that OG Ananobi went to IU or, you know, Bryant or any of these guys that are in the NBA. They do nothing for the school. They, you know, Purdue, Purdue absolutely owns this series right now, regardless of the two losses last year. And I wish they would get back to having guys like, you know, Tom Coverdale and Michael Lewis and Pat Graham and those guys that – were Indiana All-Stars because, you know, beating Mbaco this year is, is you know, it's fine, but it's less exciting than watching two teams that are made up of predominantly Indiana players. Well, they do have, I will say, Indiana does have, um, Matt. See, I, I think that the way Indiana was is looking at it is Indiana desperately wants to get back to exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I, Indiana would be the first to tell you. Indiana wants to be right there. And the fans want that. That's what I'm talking about. Like, like I think the fans in the program both would love to see Indiana get to the point like Purdue where they are back to being a perennial NCAA tournament contender, top five seed, etc. And obviously you take your chances with going out and getting the best players available and if you have players that seemingly are of that one and done you know massive skill set anthony davis type guy you and they have an interest in coming to your place you're gonna take that because you're gonna roll you're gonna roll with the percentage odds and the odds are that those those players are going to turn into very good teams now you need it accentuated as i mentioned with you, you know, steady four-year guys. Now, Indiana has definitely gone and gotten the best players of Indiana. I mean, you know, they have, you know, Galloway is is an Indiana kid. Eric Gordon was an Indiana kid. Romeo Langford, an Indiana kid. I mean, they've gone out and gotten those players. Mr. Basketball's oftentimes, you know, Indiana and Purdue both started losing out to Michigan State, to an occasional Kentucky. Recruiting itself, I think the whole, like, let's stick it to the best players of the area has been challenged by the fact that now with AAU basketball, like, this is the thing that's that's hard to remember sometimes for, for people like my age. I grew up and I was a diehard Indiana fan. And the reason I was a diehard Indiana fan is because I knew when I was a kid that I lived in Indiana. And when I looked at it, their shirt said Indiana. And I'm like, those guys are from where I'm from, right? And that's why I rooted for them. And so many players growing up in Indiana dreamed of playing for Indiana because that's what they'd done. They grew up in Indiana. Now you have guys that by the time they're 17, they've played in AAU tournaments in 16 different states with rosters made up of players from five states each you know you 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 play from you're from new albany indiana and you're a great player and you play in aau and you lose in like the regional in jonesboro arkansas and now all of a sudden the missouri aau team is picking you up and you're playing with two guys from st louis one from kansas city and a kid from omaha and, and, you, and you play five games in a day, and then they get beat, and so now Florida picks you up, and now you're playing with a kid from D.C. So you know all of these kids, and it, it more disperses, and it's wonderful for the kids, but it more disperses in the fact that I don't know that the being a representative of your state or your city comes with the same value or the same inherent nature to it that it did 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And that's why now you see when you're watching Arizona or North Carolina or Gonzaga, and it's like, yeah, they got a point guard from Alaska, a small forward from Massachusetts, and a power forward from New Orleans. You know, it's just, 
it is different. It is totally different. And it comes with that with a bit of an inconsistency of being able to determine and assess from one year to the next how good the players are in terms of their meshing together and how good they're going to be. I mean, that it is a huge challenge for sure. Uh, we're going to go out, by the way, to New York and talk to a guy that is there, that was there yesterday, saw Indiana play Connecticut, preview Indiana-Louisville, and we'll do it on the other side. There is no secret. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. That I consider Indianapolis, Indiana, the finest place in the world. And if you cut me, I bleed the torch. But I have been very fortunate, and it is simply that. It is good luck and fortune. I've been very fortunate to have been to a lot of cool cities around the globe. And where Indiana is currently right now, the Indiana Hoosiers, I should say, uh, the best. Every time that I – and I, I was lucky enough to intern in New York City. Uh, so I lived in New York City at the age of 21, which – is both terrifying and at the same time absolutely like it, it totally molds you as a person. Mm. Um, you know, I'll never forget my parents dropping me off in New York City when I was 21 years old and walking on University Avenue, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I know no one here. And you want to talk about like a goldfish in a huge bowl. Um, but having said that, every time that I walk around there, I, I say to myself, this is the greatest city in the world. New York City is just the absolute greatest. And every time I hear that song, that's why the song was made, right? Um, because it's just, there's a buzz about it. And things that happen in New York just feel bigger and feel cooler. And right now, um, joining us from New York City in Madison Square Garden, he is a long time. As a matter of fact, this guy, by all account, I believe has been to 768 straight Indiana games, home or away. Longtime stringer and radio for the Associated Press, amongst other places, Fox Sports Radio as well. George Montgomery joins us. George, you've been to how many IU games since, let's say, 1975? Well, except for the 20 that I missed last year because I had to have a severe knee operation, I've only missed four games since 1975. (laughs) So you've missed 24 games in 48 years, right? Something like that. I, I actually saw it one time more than Bob Knight saw, more than Don Fisher saw, more than any person in Indiana University um, whole school saw. So, so basically, what we're getting at here is you're either dedicated or crazy, right? <laughs> both. You might say both. <laughs> okay, let's get to this first and foremost, George. You, you know, you've seen a lot of them. Um, yesterday, I was disappointed. Connecticut's a very good team, and Danny Hurley's a hell of a coach. And you know, they they obviously the defending national champs. That speaks for itself. I thought Indiana's energy level, though, in particular. Uh, Khalil Ware and Mbako, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of single those two guys out. I, I thought they they looked like two guys that don't necessarily understand the level of intensity that goes into playing in that sort of a stage. And Ware should because he played in the Pac-12. But uh, your overall thoughts, am I being too harsh? 
Well, I mean, it was it was a situation yesterday where, you know, they, they just didn't get much out of a lot of different players. You know, um, Malik Lanou was, was, was the key to the team, and then he was seven of nine, and he, he led the way with um, – with a total of um, 18 points, but um, they just um, they, they hung around and hung around and hung around, stayed within seven points, and um, Connecticut would go up by as many as 14, and Indiana cut it down to seven at halftime, and only trailed by 10 with about um, about seven minutes to go. But they just um, it, it just seemed that the Connecticut had all of the um, the answers when Indiana tried to make their runs, and believe it or not, there were a lot. There were as many Indiana fans there as there was Connecticut fans. Indiana, of course, you know, if you take a look at Indianapolis, of course, that's the biggest alumni base uh, of the Hoosiers, and along with Chicago. But you take a look at that, New York is actually the third biggest alumni base in, um, in for, for Indiana University fans, and there were a lot of Indiana fans there. But even they couldn't keep them in the game, and um, this is. Um, a whole new thing for the for, for Mbako, the freshman out of, of course, he's out of the New York area, out of New Jersey. And these guys are going to have to learn how to play. This was an eye-opening um, game for Indiana. And they're going to have a, a tough game today against um, a Louisville team that took Texas right down to the wire. And I stayed around and watched that second game. And it was a buzzer beater by Max Amos, who hit a 15-footer to beat um the Texas Longhorn, Texas Longhorns won that game 81-80 as Louisville fell by just one point. So they're, they're going to give Indiana a game today. They're, they, they come in two and two, but it's going to be a, it's, it's going to be a tough team, um, a game for Indiana because they're very athletic. And, of course, they're coached by Kenny Payne, who used to play for the Louisville Cardinals, and Danny Manning, who who has coached at numerous places, is one of their assistants. George, what do you think Mike Woodson, when Mike Woodson goes back to his hotel last night and he's looking at the tape and he's talking to, to Indiana, the, the, the critical adjustments, and I don't mean necessarily the adjustment necessary to, like, win from one, you know, it's tough when you get that turnaround. But before we know it, league play is going to be here. Indiana's biggest question mark right now and the area that Mike Woodson probably is losing sleep over is what? Well, I'll tell you one thing, um, Jake. Indiana came in, was into this game last night, and they were only 3 of 13 from three-point range. Two of those were by Calera Ware, and um, one of them was by Trey Galloway. They're, only, they're not making any three-pointers. That's, that's one thing. And they're going to have to make some three pointers, and this has been a, a you know a nemesis for them for the past three or four years, and they've they've got to be able to do that. And um, they also got beat pretty bad on the board yesterday too, and um, a situation where they you know that they need to you know be able to rebound and stuff. And um, they kind of you know even though Ware's big, seven foot one, he still got pushed around by some of the bigger body um, Connecticut, but. Um, they just got to learn how to play hard and know that every possession matters. And they seem to take possessions off. And even in the first three games that they won, those weren't victories that they, you know, that they eased into. They came right down to the wire on most of those games. And they just, they just got to learn how to play hard and what, what it's like to play hard out there. And you know, and, and to be able to play hard and win these win these games. And it's not, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's a, it's, it's a true turnaround after losing. Trace Jackson Davis, you know, from last year's team, that they got a long way to go. 
Hey, George, this is Brendan. Just taking a look at IU's schedule for the first half of December. I mean, it's almost murderer's row. Now, Maryland's only one in three. They got them on December 1st. But Kevin Willard's Seton Hall teams never really started quick either. So I expect the Terps to be okay. You got to go at Michigan for a 9 o'clock game on the 5th, play in the afternoon on the 9th against Bruce Pearl's Auburn team. And then you got the number one team in the land, at least at this time, the Kansas Jayhawks on the 16th for another afternoon game. So I guess what's the feel here against Louisville and then Harvard that you kind of got to pick up whatever you had in that 3-0 and start before you get to a really tough four-game stretch there? Boy, that's tough. I mean, you, you know, you look at those games, and Mike said yesterday that, you know, he wanted these kind of games in, in November and December to play teams like, um, you know, teams like Connecticut and teams like Louisville and, 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 and Texas. And, um, you know, they need these kind of games to get ready for the Big Ten. And, of course, they got that rematch against Kansas, which they played out in Vegas last year and, in, in, um, and um, lost that, you know, and lost, and lost that game. So it's a situation where Indiana's going to have to, um, you know, get their ducks in a row because um, – it, it could be a slow start here in the, in, in, in the non-conference season and getting ready for the Big Ten season because, you know, they, they always play these two games here in, the, um, in, in December, uh, and, and this year they've got Maryland um, and they got Michigan in the, in the um, um, conference season here in December, and these are going to be two tough games, one at home and one on the road, um, the Maryland games in Bloomington and the Michigan games at Ann Arbor. So that's going to be tough for them, but um, it's going to be um, – it, it, it's going to be um, tippy-toes, you might say, for them to, you know, to be in here and, and, and watch what they're doing because they have really, you know, it's, it's just all new this year with, with, with new guys and Trace gone, and um, you just don't know what you're going to get. And um, I, I think it's going to be eye-opening for everybody. And um, it, it, I think it starts today with, with them bouncing back today against a good athletic Louisville team, who's only two and two, and has also kind of struggled. But boy, they sure didn't struggle yesterday against the 15-ranked um, Texas Longhorns. George Montgomery out in New York. Uh, last question, George: To get to the Garden today, you're walking, you're taking a cab, or you're taking a subway. You got to take the subway, or you, if you're not near uh, it, you got to take the subway. No, I'm, I'm actually probably going to take a bicycle and have a guy haul me over in his little cart with a bicycle. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. You must be staying right there uh, near 33rd and 3rd for the garden. But, um, yeah, pretty you, close, pretty close. Pretty it's close. the best, it's man. Nice, the world's greatest nice arena. In New York, about 55 degrees. Nice. Love it. I love New York City, man. Swing by the Rockefeller, see the ice skating rink, the tree, the whole deal. George, appreciate it, man. Enjoy the game today. You know, Jake, it's a city that never sleeps. <laughs> that is correct, which is why it's perfect for me. Believe you me. There's a reason why I'm doing the midday stuff. You know what I mean? I love New York, man. Everything about it. I've never been. Uh, but Eddie, it's the one city it's fun, I want to go to the most. Eddie, I'm telling you, man. It is. There's just everything about it. You know, the, the one thing, I think the most amazing thing about New York, really there are two things. The first being, I mean, I lived in it, right? And yet... Every time I go back, I find a different neighborhood or different area that I've never discovered before. And you're like, man, like this is what I just want to hang out in this little corner in this bar and this restaurant and this little cafe and this deli. And yet and then you you leave that area and you go do something else. And then you're like, OK, I'm going to go back to that area. And you're like, Where was it? <laughs> it's like it's like literally like neighborhoods in New York City are like the little white pieces of plastic in a snow globe you can watch one but then you shake it up and all of a sudden it gets mixed up and you're like where'd it go 
and and that's what's so great about New York. But in addition to that, there are few things I think for anybody that creates a greater like in the moment dichotomy than to walk in New York City. Like if you're in Times Square and you walk north up Broadway or up, you know, any of them, uh, you know, Avenue of the Americas, whatever. And you go north, and then you enter into Central Park, and you've got all this hustle bustle, right? You got all these people and, and and cabs honking and sirens and and guys hosing down the sidewalk and just mayhem all over the place. And then you walk for fifteen minutes, and you get to Central Park, and you go walking into the park, and all of a sudden, you would think that you're like in the redwoods of Northern California, and you can hear a pin drop, and somebody all of a sudden just kind of goes rolling by on a bicycle and rings their little bell and says hello but then all of a sudden just as much as you were absolutely entrenched as just a fleck of paint in this tapestry of busy life now all of a sudden you are literally in your own world where you are like in total isolation and you're like how did that happen and central park is just the I mean, it's fabulous it's beautiful it's gorgeous all of it there's if you ever get a chance eddie you got to go at some point to new york city and and in the wintertime, it is just as majestic and charming as it is mm-hmm. in the summertime because there are different areas and aspects of it that are fabulous. Needless to say, I do love New York. I don't have the t-shirt that says, I heart New York, <laughs> but, I should, but I should probably get one. Well, you a Home Alone 2 fan? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I've seen Home Alone. I know Home Alone 2 is where he's stuck in the park, right? I think I well, saw Well, yeah, once. he stays at the Plaza Hotel, New York's finest hotel experience. Right. I think, I think With I've- With that credit card. I've seen it once when it came <laughs> out, um, but I know, obviously, of you know the-, the the lady and the park and the whole deal. Right? My hot take is that Home Alone 2 is better than Home Alone 1. That's probably not inaccurate, but obviously the first one is the one that's going to be the most I, I do I love Home Alone, you. but I, I like Home Alone 2 better. I, plus the acting. I, it, the fact that uh, Rob Schneider is the busboy is hilarious. I, I'm a fan of Rob Schneider. Oh, actually. he's funny. I, he's really good in Big Daddy. And that I thought he was really funny. You can do it. <laughs> he's also great in the water boy. Now, see, I'm not saying that he's not going to get selected, but typically this time of day we do the Jimmy Cook plays of the day, and he didn't offer any, but he did send me one text because he's on jury duty. He sent me a text, and the only thing that he said was two and a half to one. This guy did it. <laughs> And so I don't know if he's been selected for the jury or if he's still in the selection process. But if they if they monitor what he's texting out, there's no way he's going to get picked, right? He took the over for uh, time of deliberation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, he could be if you're the foreman. I would love to be on jury duty and be a, be a foreman. That that would be the problem, actually. If I get selected for jury duty, there's a really good chance for a hung jury because if I'm not selected as a foreman, I'm holding out. Like I, I'm, you know what I mean. Like no, I, I'm, I'm going to be the four person, please. I, I want to be the one that like is, you know, doing the whole thing. I have a question for you, actually. Yes, you, so you mentioned earlier that you were watching a hundred thousand dollar pyramid. That's oh a, yeah, that's a great game show. It is. If you were in the final round, would you give or receive the clues? That's a great boy. That's. I've been really wanting to ask that all day. Never had a good time for it. I, if I'm not mistaken, do you have the option, or when you're with the yeah, celebrity she, person? Well. So I actually liked the show most when my mom would always watch it when Donny Osmond was the host because she loves Donny Osmond. Okay. And back then you had the option. I don't know if they give you the option anymore. I would probably rather give the hints. Now, Dick Clark used to bother me because he would always come in at the end like real smarmy and be like, you know, he had the perfect answer. 
or the perfect hint. And I'm like, yeah, dude. I mean, you're you're not. It's it's got to be honestly like when you watch it, you you think like these people are morons, but like, (laughs) but I'm sure in that moment, it's got to be a fairly like jarring experience, right? I mean, I think people just vapor lock. Yeah, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to receive either. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, but in the final round, especially, you can't use your hands. You know, you can't. Yeah, it's just talking. Well, and there they have the, so much out of pocket comments made right there. Somebody just tuned I, of in. Of course. Well, th- I, this is a game show. So Eddie Eddie's playing the role I of know. the seventh grade. I, I understand right. that. Well, he is the twenty-five year old in the room. That's right. Um, yeah, I think it would be you know, and you got to put your hands in those little in the little. You ever notice that they have like the hand yeah, they're holders? like they're like cuffed. Yeah, exactly. Almost, yeah, and that that would be the hard the the hard part about it. It is a great show though. I like the show strictly for the music. And back in the day when somebody would win the hundred thousand dollars, see, it, it used to be now if you just win both, you get fifty and then a hundred. Back in the original day of the Dick Clark hundred thousand dollar pyramid, you had to actually build up um, to the point of. Like you came back for the hundred thousand dollar tournament, and the hundred thousand dollar part was a huge deal. So when when the hundred thousand when the person would win the hundred thousand, they they would allow the studio audience to like rush the stage, <laughs> and so like Dick Clark's out there and he's like, "Where's my winner?" And like the music's playing and there's confetti, and they were always like, and, and literally you're like, "Wait, where did they find these people?" <laughs> I, I think literally they were just walking around like the the streets of of burbank california like hey you want to go on a game show and there's like people out there with walkers and like old people and and like young kids are bouncing around that have no idea what's going on they just know that they get to be on television with dick clark right and you know it was it was a, a big to hoot but that's a good question though it is a my my, my go-to so w- let me ask you this Brendan. when you're yeah you're home at, at night uh-huh. you're flipping the channels there are no games on and you know it's nine thirty on a rainy like Tuesday night, whatever. It's dark outside. It's been dark since five. What's your go-to television? Like you're flipping the channels, and I don't know if you stream or whatever. But what's your go-to safety? Like I'll check in on this show or network. So I'm a huge Food Network guy because my grandmother, she was from Italy, so is my grandfather. He's still around, but my grandmother made a homemade Italian, and you know little old short italian lady and every time i went over to my grandparents house food network is on so big chopped guy okay big chopped guy i'm there with you yeah food network is or you get you go to flavor town with some guy fieri one way trip to flavor town you ever watch intervention no eddie ever watched intervention yes i've watched it a couple times but i wouldn't say that i watch it routinely i i mean it's gut-wrenching at the same time you also you think to yourself like well i'm not doing so bad right (laughs) Um, what's the show intervention yeah what's it about what's that what's it about it's about people that people getting in okay so people and here's the only intervention and undercover boss both to me are fascinating because so intervention now i mean now they're they're mostly out of canada but you know they take somebody who has like an addiction problem usually it's alcohol or drugs but sometimes it's like a shopping addiction or hoarding or whatever yeah the hoarding episodes are crazy yeah that you know actually uh i haven't seen it but i've got every episode saved on my dvr a joke i'm doing there yeah Uh, so so anyway with intervention they they tell them we're doing a documentary about addiction they follow them and then the family has an intervention on them and it's gut-wrenching because you do see a lot i mean you really start pulling for people right you want them to get things turned around and and you learn you know so many of the people there are such common 
things or themes that have put them in a situation of desperation or depression. Uh, but Family Feud, the Game Show Network to me, Family oh, I Feud, love um, $100,000 Pyramid, like, and then Seinfeld's on every night from 10 to 11 on uh-huh. one of the higher WTTV channels, just so you know. Uh, hey, Jake, I was a foreman on a rape murder trial. It was the most challenging job you could imagine. I, I, Jeez. If, if you know that you are deliberating on... Man, I mean, the responsibilities you've got there are would be, you know what I mean? Because you are changing one the trajectory of one person's life. You've got to make sure on that. But at the same time, you want to deliver justice for another. I, it would be tough. That would be tough. I don't know what yeah, Jimmy I, Cook's, uh, he's in jury duty. I don't know what, what the. Oh, what I, I hope his case is a little. Yeah, petty theft. Less than, right? yeah. Petty theft. Some guy that, you know, parking fines. Or like in my case, a guy that, that is disputing whether or not uh, the rental car company is creating fraud by charging me with Yeah, you're still going damages. through that? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a nightmare. Damages mm. that I didn't, didn't incur. Uh, so will you be watching here just about an hour and a half from now? John, J&B is going to join us, by the way, um, and take over here to, to bring everybody home. But Indiana and Louisville coming up 430 today. Uh, that is interesting because Indiana, you know, they got a, a quick bounce back, but Louisville's no Louisville by name and brand. You think that that's a big time matchup, but this is a team last year that I mean, absolutely circled the drain, Brendan. Yeah, and it's a challenging schedule, Jake. I mean, Louisville is not a bad team. Look, Ivy League basketball. I, I think IU is going to beat Harvard just fine, but Ivy League basketball. No, you're right. Yale, Harvard, Princeton, really, really good. I mean, who Princeton just beat somebody? I, I don't. I forgot who. But, you know, Maryland, they're off to the worst start in the Big Ten. But again, Willard's uh, Seton Hall teams, to me, always started slow, especially when we saw them at Hankel. Got to go at Michigan for a 9 o'clock start, then play during the day against Auburn a few days later. And then your gift with that is getting number one Kansas. So this is super challenging, Jake. What, what's your assessment so far in the final minute here? And we can get more into it tomorrow. But what's been your assessment so far, Butler? Well, I always assumed when Thad came back it was going to be a three-year job especially that there's 10 new guys on the team Jake which is remarkable 10 new guys right have you ever heard of that many I mean it's a total roster flip for sure complete free agency right I mean you lost your at least dominant center in Manny Bates I thought Jalen Thomas did a nice job last year but it's going to take some time to to get this thing right and I think Thad's the guy for the job now I do think it's interesting that Barry Collier is retiring at the end of the year I've kind of, this is not anything I've heard. This is just simply my opinion. I think Thad is setting up perfectly to potentially be the athletic director someday. I think that's. And Alex Barlow is going to be the head coach. Yeah, that seems to be almost a foregone conclusion about the, the AD, right? To me, that's, again, nobody told me that. Nobody has said that to me. That's just my opinion. I think that's where it's going to go. Well, I think when Thad, when Indiana kicked the tires on Thad Mata about coaching and he basically said, look, I'd like to try my hand from an administrative side of things and Indiana offered him that opportunity and he got the athletic director opportunity and then leaves there to go back to Butler. The conventional wisdom was that he had gotten and seen the insides of how that runs and now is going over you know, to Butler knowing that Barry, obviously he would know better than anybody, Barry Collier's timeline. So when Barry Collier announced his retirement, it would seem to be uh, natural that Barry Collier, but we'll or that that model would take over but we'll see how that works all right brendan back at it tomorrow right let's do it i I haven't heard from jimmy but i think he's being sequestered so you are (laughs) back tomorrow and then theoretically wednesday as well eddie thanks so much john's up next everybody have a good one raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide 
have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.